from the Mortal Realms and Age of Sigmar story phase. Grab your hammer so we can clear a path through the chaos and forge our own narratives in the Age of Sigmar. Your allies through Selenesh's stomach this episode are... Hi, my name is Paul, and hey guys, do you guys know that Alario was a huge Phil Collins fan? I mean, she named the Genesis Gate after him, so yeah. And this is Josh, slipping from the umbral web to share what we've discovered in this campaign book. Hey, and I'm Paven, and I'm bursting forth out of my mother father screaming into this podcast. Uh, and I'm Aaron. Snakes? Why does it always have to be snakes? Uh, in this episode, we cover the lore of Broken Realms Marathi, GW's la- latest advancement of the story of the mortal realms, uh, the High Oracle of Cain, the Shadow Queen, the Grand Matriarch of the Daughters of Cain. Those titles are not quite enough for Marathi. She's got even bigger aspirations, and let's find out what they are. But before we do, hey, how are you guys doing tonight, gentlemen? How are you? Very good. I am extremely excited, Aaron. Thanks for having me back. Uh, this book was dope. It's dope. Double dope. Super dope. And Paul, how are you doing? I am doing great. I actually just finished like 20 minutes before we started recording the last model uh, that I needed to paint for the Caradron range. So I finished off one of my armies today. Super excited. Uh, so now that that's done and dusted, uh, what's next? Always looking forward. Uh, actually, this book has uh, the number two army, so it's going to be a Harakiron force. Ooh, oh, ooh, spoiler alert. Dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> spoiler alert in the hobby progress. <laughs> so let's, let's have me go backwards then. Because um, if it was Paul, now we'll go back to Paven. Paven, what, do you, what have you been working on? Well, uh, staying on brand, I'm working on my Warcry Warband, The Signs of the Flame, and Associated Catacombs Terrain. Oh, delightful. Uh, are, you, are you doing anything special with these uh, Scions? How, how are you making them your own? Um, uh, well, the initial group, it, uh, <laughs> I don't want to talk too much about it because I talk about it at length on our other podcast. Shout out to Dogs of Warcry. Uh on all uh, podcast devices uh, currently. Uh, <laughs> Wherever you listen <laughs> to podcasts. I'm my, my bitch. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, no, I like, you know, I'm, I'm painting them. That's uh, <laughs> one of the main things I'm doing to the miniatures. Uh, I think I'm gonna, I, I have, You're doing that with a paintbrush or? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I'm actually spitting the paint out of my mouth onto the miniature. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, I, I didn't do too much uh, crazy stuff with my first set of guys. I think I'm going to kitpash the second group to differentiate them, but I'm not quite sure uh, how I'm going to do that because my chaos bits, uh, I just don't got that many chaos bits. Yeah, got to get those chaos bits. Um, and Josh, what uh, what you been doing? Yeah, I've been working on my Canite Shadow Stalkers, which fit very nicely with Catacombs and uh, this book, Marathi. So excited kind of got them primed and you know now i need to start the actual paint apply application process and how are you going to be applying that that paint do you think uh, i'll try a variety of techniques i think you know see what sticks the best <laughs> you got it and your paint's got to stick it's important um kind of hate it when it just like sloths <laughs> off the model. <laughs> or uh, ricoch- ricochets back in your face is always uh is always oh, a big problem for yeah, me humiliating yeah. well, um what about <laughs> when working on nothing particularly interesting i moved on to um putting some sylvaneth together out oh, of the what's it called loon curse boss or box yeah um i guess and also from uh, a certain magazine subscription that i'm not going to name here because it's a conflict um but between all those <laughs> i'm going to put all my sylvaneth together sylvaneth, sylvaneth are cool because they're awesome models but they're also 
a B word to like scrape because there's so there's so much like surface area, like so many the the sprue lines are or not the the mold lines aren't terrible per se. It's just that there's so like so many curves yep. and switchbacks and what have you, um, and it's driving me nuts. I imagine the B word is branch. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. They're real, they're real branch or beach. Beach trees, you know. Uh, uh, beach, yeah, or birch also would be acceptable. Bark. I mean, we can do this for a while now. Um, take back my joke if I can. <laughs> <laughs> I was always a big uh, wood elf guy, so I was excited to finally get around to these um, sylvaneth. Yeah, that's what I've been working on. And I guess I, I have scratched the surface of some of the Warcry train because I had just finished all the other Warcry stuff, and now this box just shows up. And I, I've got more work to do. Awesome. I thought I was done. No such luck. But enough <laughs> enough of that. That's, that's Dullsville. Um, let's talk about instead this here uh, book that we're going to chat about, and that's The Broken Realms Marathi. Let's jump into the story phase. Paul, if you would be so kind. In this story phase, we delve into the stories, characters, creatures, and environments of the Nine Realms. We sure do. So what we've got here is another one of these campaign books. I don't know what, like officially what the term is, but I'm going to call it a campaign book. Um, it's, got a, it's got a bit of story. It's moving the story of the mortal realms forward. And then it's got a bunch of rules and other nonsense that nobody cares about. Um, <laughs> but it's exciting because when I, I mentioned it, it is moving the story forward. Uh, forward. Um, we're on the cutting edge and we're seeing what's, what's happening next in this, in this universe that we love so uh, very, very much. However, before we start looking forward as to the direction we're going, maybe it's worth real, real quick, super quick, recapping where we've been. Do you guys have any thoughts on where the, the world, the, the mortal realms is now um, as to how it sort of informs where the story is going forward? What are some key uh, bits that we've experienced thus far that are going to be important um, for the story? I'll give, I'll give you an example. We're at the tail end, maybe even at the end of the the Soul Wars, right? We're for, we've talked at length um, about Nagash's plan to uh, take ex, you know extreme power of the the realm of death. Uh, things went went wild. Um, his plan went awry. Uh, there's magic all over the world. Uh, Night Hunt showed up. Asiak Bone Reapers showed up, um, and the, he, all attention was sort of on him for a bit, and that has allowed other actors uh, in the world to. Um, sort of enact some plans behind the scenes without without drawing too much attention to themselves. Yeah, I will. Can I jump off of that? Please do, Aaron. Um, so, yeah, we, we suspect we're at the tail end of the Soul Wars. I wouldn't say, like, the action has cooled down at all in that, like, the wars are still quite raging. Um, specifically, uh, what happened, like, kind of most recently, I believe, is the uh, Catacrosis invasion of the Eight Points. Um, so this is what the events that took place during the Wrath. Oh God, what is the book called? Wrath of the, the Ever Chosen. Wrath of the Ever Chosen. Yes, where it uh, it chronicles that that initial um, that initial uh, war or ba- series of battles that kicked off that new kind of battlefront within the Eight Points. Um, so this was uh, Nagash continuing to be like the aggressor in the mortal realms entirely, and some of that. Those events inform the what happens later in this. Now, the the Wrath of the Ever Chosen book does state Soul Wars on it, and this one does not. So, I think we are at a transition point for sure. Uh, that's true. Uh, the, the Wrath of the Ever Chosen um, also sort of, it, although it wasn't the focus of the story per se, it doesn't. It does point out um, the status of a particular chaos god. Um, 
I'm, I'm blanking on who it is. You guys got any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think the last, I don't know, six publications, Slanesh has been breaking his bonds. Uh, to recap for our, our listeners, Slanesh is, being, is currently imprisoned in the t- Twilight Realm um, of the the hidden gloaming by all of the elven gods gods as they siphon sm- souls away from his being and they have a bunch of metaphorical and literal and arcane chains holding him down and he's slowly busting out um, uh, over time and but he still is he she it is still imprisoned within that realm exactly um, any other uh, important historical facts that folks need to know before coming into this into this story i mean <laughs> there's a lot like I don't, how much background do we do we give i guess yeah that probably is all the interesting stuff like lumineth just happened but like that really hasn't been involved in the story quite yet though i imagine it will be um so uh all right so th- those are some uh pertinent events in the history of the mortal realms uh thus far but uh there's also some major players that we probably need to talk about as well um because the, this uh campaign the story in this campaign are going to feature a lot of familiar faces i mean it's worth knowing um what they've been up to and sort of how they're interacting with each other uh, a little bit um are there any uh, names faces individuals that we think that uh the listeners ought to be caught up on um before we we jump into the story here well, obviously, uh, Marathi is going to be a big one. Um, we, we, Marathi is the High Oracle of Cain, as the story opens. Um, so the background for her is that she is from the old world moving forward. And when she came to the new world, she was swallowed by Slanesh, came out of his stomach, but came out a half snake. Um, and she has pieced together a semblance of godhood by claiming sovereignty of the heart of Cain and by stating that her will is to collect Cain and bring him back and claiming herself as the high oracle of Cain himself. Uh, So that's going to be the major transition to this book, um, but that's where we start for Marathi. And she's leading her own forces of the daughters of Cain so uh, she's going to be the pivotal player, and that's kind of where she starts from um, and what's going to be – that sets the stage for what's going to be happening later. Yeah, and it's also worth mentioning that she's nominally part of the forces of order, right? Like sure. so she's got these alliances with the, these order factions, mm-hmm. and although maybe they oftentimes find what she does a little distasteful, mm-hmm. um, at the end of the day, they're glad that, um, that she's at their side and not at their back. Well, and the other – amusing thing is that um marathi because she was in the old world she's actually malarian's mother and uh there was actually a time during the end times where she was affiliated with Tyrion as well and so she was the wife of someone who is now a god and the mother of someone who is now a god but she herself is not a god so it's a it's a fun interesting uh start for her character in the story. Sure. Fun. I guess it depends who you're asking. Um, I bet she doesn't find it too, too fun. Um, all right, cool. Uh, what, what other, other major players are going to, uh, come into focus here, uh, in this, in this book? Well, the other three main leaders that, uh, have appearances throughout the book are Sigmar. Uh, obviously the Stormcast do get involved and Sigmar and Marathi have discussions on how certain uh, events proceed. And uh, they work with Alario, the Everqueen, um, to find passage 
uh, to some place which will remain nameless at this point in time. And then, of course, Slanesh, the Dark Prince, has a uh, part to play in this story. And at the at the as Paul had mentioned at the beginning of the book, Slanesh is still trapped, or maybe it was pavement, still trapped, but uh, is escaping or breaking the chains and eventually working his way to freedom. And then we're going to also be dealing with the Anvils of the Heldenhammer, um, which is a storm host. So we've got a couple of different characters there, um, but the Anvils of the Heldenhammer, if I'm not mistaken, are all from Shyish originally. Is that correct? Correct. I think that's true. Yeah. So we got a storm host of reforged people from Shyish. Um, the Ivanet Deepkin are also involved in this story. Oh, can I can I jump in here and talk about the Deepkin? I'm a big Deepkin fan. Oh, thank you. Um, okay, so like what you should know about the Deepkin uh, coming in is they were the first elves removed from Slanesh, as we talked about, as the he w- as the souls were drawn out to recreate the elven race, and they were incredibly flawed and corrupted by their time in Slanesh, so they were kind of a failed, uh, you know, initial experiment by the elven gods specifically. Teclis. And Teclis wanted to destroy them for their imperfection and corruption. The Aideneth Deepkin escaped and hid at the bottom of the sea where they could feel, where they could live in isolation both from Teclis but also from kind of their own uh, damage and imperfections and uh, uh, the psychological torment that living in Slaanesh had caused them. I'm going to take the Scourge Privateers and the Black Scale Coil. So the Scourge Privateers are basically the Dark Elf Carsairs, um, or the Black Orc Carsairs as they are. So uh, the Black Orcs are something that were in the old world and are definitely a thing in this new world, um, in the Age of Sigmar. In the old world, they were actually parts of the island that the elves lived on that became these huge ships that were sailing around the oceans and in Age of Sigmar, these are recreated. And then we also involve the Black Scale Coil. So the Black Scale Coil are actually basically this incredibly manipulative um, underworld group. Uh, and the Sovereign is the person who is in charge. And then we also have Sorceress Drusik Kraith, um, who is somehow related to the Sovereign. Um, and she is kind of like a standard uh, sorceress on black dragon. It wouldn't be Warhammer if we also didn't have a strong contingent of of um, new chaos uh, enemies to be sort of crawling around uh, and uh, messing up everybody's plans. Um, we spend a fair bit of time um, in the eight points. And as we know, that's still under Archaon's control, despite Nagash's attempts to, to take it over. And so um, we've got our slaves to darkness um, have, a, have a strong presence there. Um, and if you're going to be dealing with Archaon, you're going to be dealing with um, at least one of his gaunt summoners. And so there's a there's going to be a, a, a gaunt summoner that we're going to have to contend with, um, one of the nine um, here as well. Uh, and since we had mentioned Slanesh earlier, um, there's plenty of Slanesh uh, folks that we need to um, watch out for, basically. Uh, they have a presence uh, throughout the story. One I do want to call out, and I know I literally just said we don't want to have names, but a reference to another story is that there is a, a, a Lord of Pain um, that we'll talk about who has shown his face in, in um, another story or two uh, in in the Shadow and Pain um, book, but we'll, we'll get to him in a little, in a little bit. Um, but as you can see, we're really uh, spanning... Uh, spanning the gamut of um, different 
different interested parties, let's let's say. Um, they're all sort of getting their hands dirty in this Broken Realms Marathi book. Does that does that cover what we know so far? I think so. Yeah. Let's guys, let's let's get into it. Um, Sweet. So we've we're, we're caught up to where we where we are. Let's let's move forward. Where does this uh, where does the story start? No. So the the story starts uh, with what we call the Blood of Cain, and uh, this ties in to the recent Catacombs release for Dogs of, or for Warcry, <laughs> and um, and Varanite, which was t- discussed in the Wrath of the Everchosen, which is the realm stone for the eight points. Um, once Marathi discovered it, uh, she decided it was the blood of Cain, and so she could use that justification to get some of it into her grubby little fingers because uh, it has, of course, some extremely potent changing properties and uh, as well as corrupting. And so when you when, when you say decided, like we literally mean she just decided, right? Like there's no yeah. truth to any of this, but rather it's she, she thinks claiming such is going to uh, aid in her, you know, machinations. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. She, she stated the truth so that the masses that follow her would do her bidding. Yeah. Oh, Marathi, come on. And of course, this the in the eight points, uh, there is Varanite in a variety of places, but it, it tends to be rare. However, in the Varanthax's maw, a large deposit of this molten realm stone was discovered. And so much so that Archeon set one of his gaunt summoners to help extract it and work with it, figure out how to use it. And this gaunt summoner is named Eater of Tomes. And the purpose behind this is that they were able to use these giant boar worms, three of them in particular, to down into this this uh, caverns and start slurping up the Varanite so that he could work with it. And they started to transport it to the meteoric gate, the gateway to Azir, which has been sealed uh, since the beginning of Age of Chaos. And they're pouring it over the realm gate in the hopes of corrupting it and busting it open so he can get into his ear and get some revenge on Sigmar. Mm -hmm. So that kind of leads into Marathi's ambitions because she discovers what's happening. And uh, she wants some of this material for herself, but she knows that uh, she can't do it alone. And so she seeks Sigmar's help by sharing this information with him. And uh, and then comes up with a plan to work together to achieve her aims as well as help Sigmar move towards his goals. So there's a really interesting way that this part of the book uh, starts out, which is that we don't have an unreliable narrator. <laughs> oh, then why why did you even finish it, Paul? If there's no unreliable <laughs> narrator, but it's super unique. Because we are literally having a third person saying, oh, by the way, this is totally a thing, right? We're not getting it from Marathi's perspective. We're not getting it from the Eater of Thomas perspective. We're literally getting this laid out in a very dispassionate third person format. And that's a new thing for the recent Battle Tomes and the recent backgrounds that we have. Because we are kind of getting a blow by blow of like, well, this is what she did. Oh, by the way, she's lying when she said this, right? Yeah. Oh, and we do have her Sithborn who know that she's lying, right? Right. Oh, and we have Archaon and he hires this guy. You know, he sets this guy on this task. But we actually have a very specific um, unpacking 
of number one, where exactly we are, uh, why the worms are actually the thing that they're using, because the Varanite is corrupting everything around them. So people can't even get near it without having some serious issues, right? And when she says, this is Cain's blood, they're literally like, yeah, it's totally not Cain's blood. I'm just making sure you know that this is literally just her doing a power grab. So right. this is kind of, this is a very unique take um, for Age of Sigmar uh, moving forward. Uh, so that was one of the things that immediately struck me when I started reading it is like, oh, no, no, no. There's some third person omniscient going on here. That's kind of cool. Yeah, and I, I, yeah, I think there's a lot of cool things that are that are going on here, and I want to shout out uh, to the to like the Varanthax's Maw and the current narrative inside of Warcry and the Catacombs box specifically, and the uh, Canaanite Shadow Stalkers are mm-hmm. specifically the warband that comes in that box, and they are part of this larger narrative because these are the agents Marathi has tasked to do the reconnaissance of the maw and bring her samples of Varanite to like start experimenting on and figuring out what it is and how it can be used for her purposes. So like this kind of shadow, not a war, but like kind of these, these uh, spies and um, kind of sneaky war bands that are in and out of the eight points, providing her the intelligence to hatch this larger plot. Yeah. So the other thing is that, um, I love the interweaving. Like we've said it already before, but like this is literally everything is moving so fast now. We just got Warcry Catacombs. Now we're getting Marathi. And then we're going to actually move. Like I hear the story moves forward even already. So the world is literally in this super epic deciding moment. And everything is shoving forward through it from something where the narrative was not moving or we jump 50 years forward. This is, from place to place to place, um, which feels super dynamic, especially because we've got this Varanite that can literally change everything. And the Shadow Stalkers coming in was a super cool pull to make them important in the narrative for Marathi. And it totally makes sense and works really, really well. Um, and so we've got Varanthax's Maw, and Marathi's like, I totally want this stuff. It's the best. And I'm going to be able to do it, use it to have some cool stuff. But she realizes that she's not quite strong enough. So she talks Sigmar into an alliance of sorts, right? But Sigmar is like, I, I don't know if I trust you. And the Stormcats are like, I, I don't know if I trust you. And I think things are going to go wrong. But I really can't let Archaeon, you know, really take down a gate to his ear. That's a really, really bad situation. So he reluctantly says, "Yeah, okay, we'll let you. We'll let you do some stuff here because I know this is a this is worse for me to let Archaon have free reign than to trust you right now." Right, the lesser of two evils, <laughs> or the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Right, also also the case. And one key. One key thing I just wanted to mention is the Canite Shadow Stalkers, who we do t- discuss them a little bit further, but they play a broader role throughout the entire story because they have the Mark of Shadow and can travel this umbral web to anywhere in the realms. So just so she uses them in the eight points, but they're also used elsewhere. Yeah, and she's actually um, been spending time like 
bolstering and 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 taking efforts to control more points of that sort of um, umbral web out there. So that has sort of been her efforts leading up to some you know some of the story here as well. Uh, so Marathi finds out about um, the uh, Veronite. Uh, she realize doesn't even make up the story it's a true story but she finds gets the intel that uh they're planning on knocking down one of the the gates uh to azir she being the dutiful ally that she is gives that information to sigmar and says hey look they're, they're coming knock, coming to knock on your door um you're probably going to want to do something about it and i'm i'm here to help you out and they devise a plan um, which when you say devise a plan, it makes it sound like it's going to be complicated and they kind of have a lot of moving parts. Um, I found that to not necessarily be the case. Their plan is basically, Hey, let's roll up and stop them and plan. Like that's, that's just, just, <laughs> um, Hey, he's doing this thing. Let's not let him do it. Uh, and so they decide that they're for all intents and purposes are going to march on the eight points. They know it's going to be uh it's going to be a slog. There's probably going to be a lot of loss of, uh, quote unquote life, I guess Stormcaster Immortal. Um, but they're going to go and hit him where it hurts, uh, and bring the fight to um, what's his something Ma Varenthax's Ma uh, to to shut the whole shut the whole system down. Because apparently, if if Arcan doesn't have uh, any Varenite, then he can't uh, knock down Sigmar's door, which I guess is logical, I suppose. Uh, and so they put together, or they they, uh, they 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 assemble a team, basically, where it's a whole 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 lot of uh, Stormcast and um, Covens from the Daughters of Cain, um, and they make they, they sort of combine to make this giant army, and they need to figure out a way to get uh, into. Uh, the eight points and you would think well we can just roll up from uh zero like it, it, the door is right there um but that would be dumb because that's apparently the door they want to knock down it'd be foolish to open it um and they can't roll up on lightning bolts because apparently those don't work uh in the eight points and so instead they call up their best friend uh Alarial, and say hey yo what up uh can we use your door real quick um to to enter the eight points because if i understand correctly uh, it was retaken over in the Realm Gate Wars, right? There was only a handful of, of gates that ordered, like, was able to reclaim, and I think the the um, Genesis Gate was one of them. And Marathi convinces her, so she's got some honeyed words, that's for sure. And there's a super fun little tidbit here, where it says Marathi herself requested the aid of the Anvils of the Heldenhammer, the Maru Sentinels of Shayesh, with whom she had fought closely during the Athanasian heresies some hundred years prior. So that's going to come up in one of the characters later. Uh, so Marathi is not only able to say, hey, by the way, we really need some help. Oh, by the way, can I choose which of your storm hosts that I want to help me? Because that'd be cool. And Sigmar is just like, I guess, right? Yep, okay, we're going to go ahead and do that. So she's really wheedling her way into exactly what she wants. Yep, yep, because it plays a big role later. Correct. Um, there's also a little side story here that's kind of inserted um, where it talks about one of the Black Ark fleet masters and how he's torturing Ideneth. And they're planting this idea of something called the Ocarian Lantern um, that we're going to move on to next and figure out why that's so important. Paven, did you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, so... Let me jump in here. Um, so we we switch the action. Uh, I would like to. Marathi's really playing some five D chess right now. Um, <laughs> you see all the threads she's pulling, and like she really like 
this is quite a you know oceans uh, oceans eleven situation where she's like has like all of the pieces <laughs> have to work together at once, and she's really thinking many steps ahead. It's a high risk, high reward situation um, that we're going to get into, and so one of the things she needs um, is this uh, is this lantern, and it was a and it's a it's an incredibly powerful magical artifact. It was one of the artifacts of one of the god the elven gods of light, Teclas. Um, and I, I, you know, I forget what, did, what was its special power? Was it, it you can find anything, right? Um, well, I think, wasn't it the lantern that he used to initially draw out the souls from like, from Slanesh from day one? So like, it was basically, it was his little, it was his, I don't know, beacon that he was using to, to, to yank the souls out. That has special power. And I think the Ideneth Deep can have it specifically because they stole it on their way out. Uh, to escape uh, the realm of light and to s- escape kind of this the oppressive uh, truthy truthiness of the of the gods of light um, on their way to the bottom of the ocean, and they took it because they were worried that they were that Teclas was going to use this artifact to chase them down, that they wouldn't be able to get to somewhere deep enough and dark enough to escape him um, if he still had this powerful lantern. So they bust in there, they steal the lantern, and they've been holding on to it for thousands and thousands of years, and it's at the bottom of the ocean. Um, mm. Rathi needs it for her grand plan. And um, and so she's using her agents. Paul specifically talked about um, the Scourge Privateers. And the Scourge Privateers are these kind of elven corsairs, pirates, um, you know, kind of like mean dudes. Um, and they, they, they are able to, they know the Deepkin have it. They know about the artifact and they torture the, the Deepkin until one of them reveals uh, the location of this artifact. And it's at the bottom, uh, it's going to be at the bottom of the ocean. And it's like in like impenetrable uh, blackness. And, you know, once they have the location, Marathi sends like four elite crack troops of canine shadow stalkers because they can jump. They can jump between shadow and I guess darkness counts as shadow. I don't know. It's a little, you know, I think that's a little questionable because like. Oh, wait, what would you count it as? Of course it's a shadow. It's completely dark to shadow. Shadow is like the kind of the impression that, well, I don't know. It's all metaphor, right? Um, right. So right. here's kind of a cool twist. So when we talked about the Lumineth, we talked about. Judge of that. That's that's fair. Uh, we talked about how you could climb the Teclean ladder high enough, and if you went too high, then you would basically hit the perimeter inimical at the top of the realm, right? But this Ocarian lantern is actually at the perimeter it, inimical at the bottom of the realm. It's in the deepest, deep, dark trench that they can find in the ocean. And it says specifically that some believed it bled into the etheric void itself. So it, it literally, this thing of ultimate knowledge and you, you know, enlightenment has been buried as far possible from the top of the Teclean ladder as possible. So they go get it. <laughs> <laughs> and so they grab it. They'll go get it. Only one uh, Shade Queen, is it Shade Queens? Shroud. 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 Shroud Queen survives, which are like the leaders out of this score of like elite warriors. Um, and she limps out of there. Uh, with with the lantern and escapes, problem problem solved. All right, so that was a nice little uh, uh, jaunt into the the bottom of the ocean. But guys, I want to get back to this this attack. I want I want to see how they take the eight points down by storm. Um, 
So uh, there, apparently there are honeyed words per Josh uh, that Marathi is able to convince Ilarial, uh to, to use this Genesis gate. And so she opens it wide and it's not forces of order that come streaming in first, but rather it's a stream, which is to say a, a cleansing waterfall of magical water from um, Gairan uh, is sweeping away uh, the 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 muck the 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 filth that is the the chaos warriors defending sort of the backside of this gate gate think um the last march of the ants knocking the 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 dam down and then just the the water uh flooding through um is it also here that like catacross has already has been distracting the forces of chaos too because like marathi made a deal with him as well or is that later yeah, well, they, they talk about it. Yeah, yeah, they they talk about it later, but they some of her agents made a deal with him while she was talking to Sigmar about the original uh, plan. Well, and, and the Genesis Gate ties into two things. It ties into the Realm Gate War because I believe this is the gate where Nurgle sent one of his greater demons to pollute the waterfall. Uh, so that's something that they retook and now are using that waterfall to go through the Realm Gate. And then it also ties into, um, when we're talking about Catacros, that they built these fortresses on the inside of all the gates into the eight points. And so they use the power of that waterfall that is now cleansed to literally just send a tsunami through in order to wipe out all those warriors without having to necessarily face them. Break the dam. Flood I thought the it river. Was a really nice tidbit, too, where it says the water actually cleansed the land and there's lots of verdant growth and vines were coming up and attacking the defenders. And so part of the eight points is being purified, which is a novel concept. Yep. Uh, it's always nice when uh, Ariel gets to flex a little bit on chaos. Yeah. 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 Um, but then it's, it's after that, right? Where then finally the, the forces of order, I guess, um, are able to uh, come streaming through. And it's a mixture of anvils of Held and Hammer. I think there's some hammers of Sigmar thrown in there and then a whole bunch of different covens. I don't know any other names um, of the Daughters of Cain um, all marching together and um, pushing through out, in, out into the eight points. And they've got their sights on... Uh, forget how to say it again. Uh, Varenthax's mom, but it's gonna it's gonna take some doing. It's not a it's not an easy trip, um, especially because we know a thing or two about the eight points at this point. Um, some might call it a desolate march, and I, me, I'm that I'm that someone who would, who would do that. <laughs> um, one last thing I'll, I'll mention before I, I hand it off to somebody else is that um, is for Glavia Sinhart, she, she there's we had mentioned the sort of forces of Slanesh, right up until this point Slanesh hasn't been super involved yet but just just you wait um, there's this a uh, it's a herald and she's riding her her cha- her chariot of Slanesh. and so she's been sort of like keeping tabs on sort of the developments here and uh, throughout the story you're always getting glimpses of of this Glavia Sinhart um, who's, uh, who's got all sorts of different prophecies. She's, she's always, um, got like, uh, like visions in her head and, and she speaks in weird, like poems sometimes. Um, but, uh, she's going to come into play later, but know that, uh, this, this, the developments here are being watched, uh, from, from afar. And, uh, yeah, that ties into, uh, I forgot to mention when we started this all off that there is a one page prophecy at the beginning of this book, which mm. actually, you know, tells you exactly what's going to happen in, you know, of course, a metaphorical type of way. So. Spoil alert. She, yeah. She's our, she's our uh, herald of the prophecy, so to speak, and gives us visions of what's occurring in the, in the path that the story takes. Yeah. And so at one point she prophesizes that it's a, it's a, like a mixture of gold and blood or something marching. Um, and so like that, that's this march here. Exactly. Uh, 
which is spooky. All right, we got a big long, big long march ahead of us. Does anybody want to talk about it? Sure. Uh, so this big long march uh, it has a lot of echoes of what Catacros did from his arcway. Um, it is kind of a long and winding way, uh, but we are literally going into that space where the original Warcry set was set. Um, it is the Bloodwind spoil that they're walking through, and they're walking through part of it specifically um, that they're trying to get to the mountains in order to get to Varenthax's Maw. And as opposed to where with Catacros, he's kind of dealing with everybody, we've got this kind of, uh, because they were able to take out that fortress to begin with, they're not fortifying everything. They're literally just trying to march through. And Glavia Sinhart is this uh, Svenesh character um, that is kind of trying to dance ahead and has all these prophecies. And it it's a hard road. They keep getting attacked back and forth. Um, but we do get introduced here to Lord Veritant Kaiser Van Brecht. Um, and so he's descended from an ancient Athanasian bloodline of great renown. So again, that's a tie-in with Maranthi specifically asked for the um, the Anvils of Heldenhammer. Here's the Lord Veritant of the Anvils of Heldenhammer. And I'm going to put a little aside in here because uh, Josh had mentioned a cool tidbit where we might find some characters that are connected from before and we do have a Rudolf Brecht from the Old World that was in one of the Warhammer comics that was a necromancer. And then we also have Dieter von Brecht, who was actually a captain of the Empire in Talibheim. Um, So we do have some connections here to the Old World when we're talking about Van Brecht a little bit going forward. Um, and one of the things that they talk about him is that he is actually, his line had fallen into depravity and barbarism. They'd willingly embraced the soul blight curse in order to survive the ravages of the age of chaos. So we've got a, a kind of a cool backstory for a guy who's just kind of leading this march. But not only do we have the Lord Verintin here, but we've also got a sacrosanct chamber um, for the Anvils of the Heldenhammer. And their job is to kind of keep an eye on Marathi and see if they can stop whatever it is that they're going to do, because Sigmar is sure that something is going to be happening. Just absolutely no idea when. Or what, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like that he has to send like a whole contingent to be like, all right, your, your one job is to keep an eye on her, because she's up to no good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. we know she's going to do something, because she's always got plans within plans. Sure. Yeah. Um, and so I think w- one of the ways that they're able to even make this march despite getting sort of repeatedly attacked is because of that sort of catacross distraction. Cause um, like they, they out, out and out say that like, there's no way that they would have the numbers to really take a, a real like crack at taking over the, the eight points. And so all they can hope to, to do is get to their destination um, and sort of weather the, the repeated storms of these like chaos, um, like sorties. Um, so they have like a, a, a vanguard going out that are, you know, trying to scout and keep tabs on things, but like, the entire realm that is the eight points is, is lashing out at, at these forces. And so it obviously is going to take a toll on them um, as they, as they progress. Um, they're getting attacked from every which way, surprising, you know, the uh, ambushes and things jumping out of caves and underground. And it's just, it's just a, it's a wild ride. Uh, believe me. Yep. And the, they, they make their way across the desolate marches and to the, was it the bone? The Skull Pike Mountains. No, thank you. Yep. 
And part of the plan here was to send a large contingent, the Daughters of Cain and Stormcast, to attack Varenthax's Maw itself and the Dreadfold there, the Dreadforts that line that area. While Marathi and a smaller contingent rush underneath the Varenthax's Maw into the caverns to find the source of the Varenite and supposedly dump it into the Aetheric Void so that Archeon cannot use it for his nefarious purposes. This is apparently the, the canine shadow stalkers have left some shadow symbols to, to light their way to the source. That doesn't make any sense. Shadow symbols light in their way. Exactly. Come on, guys. Without light, there is no darkness. Without darkness, there is no light. I suppose you should you should write that down. You should trademark that. <laughs> That's legend. <laughs> <laughs> so the uh, the shadow and treachery section kind of details a little bit of uh, when they reach the mountains and uh, Marathi's forest diverges. Uh, she heads into the into the Varanthax's maw, the caverns and catacombs beneath, and uh, talks about all the different creatures and crazy chaos worshippers and things that they encounter as they get there. And um, this is also the point at which the betrayal makes its appearance. Mm-hmm. She is fighting alongside some of the uh, Stormcast Eternals. I can't remember which chamber they're in. The uh, magic ones, right? Yeah, they're the sacrosanct chamber of the, sacros- of the Hell Chamber. Yep. Right. Yep. So Lord Arcanum Vendor Drich is is there in the sacrosanct chamber fighting off all of the defenders around these boar worms and Marathi begins to weave this shadowy illusionary spell to make it look like another boar worm has charged down into the caverns and that she and her her trusted minions are fighting off the the attackers and she's trying to prepare dumping the Varanite in the Aetheric Void. However, this Lord Arcanum sees through her lies, but before she can say anything, she's stabbed by some corrupted shadow metal blade from a canine shadow stalker and turns into black crystal. Not dead, alive and watching. And this is important because her soul cannot escape to warn Sigmar what has happened. This is a, a very cunning plan that takes, takes you know, kind of carries through the rest of the story where she has planned for even this. And so at that point, they, uh, they, we learned some, some very interesting things about these cauldrons of blood because they kind of position them underneath the worms. And then they, she, Marathi uses her spear to gut them. And all the Varanite flows into the cauldrons, which are apparently connected to the mother cauldron back at her um, in, in the Shadow Realm of Olgu. And so it disappears into these cauldrons and is instantly teleported, so to speak, to the mother cauldron. And with that, she makes her escape. Those cauldrons, that's kind of how it works with the blood, right? Isn't that like the, the construct normally in that like they they run them around and all the cauldrons are all sort of connected and all the blood like flows maybe i'm misremembering that but i I think it it has some it's already been established that that's how the cauldrons work and she's just sort of misusing them in a sense uh to to collect all all that varanite um i i'm digging the uh, i'm digging the idea that um if you don't want sigmar to find out about something just turn his stormcast into crystal or i mean or just generally don't kill them i feel like it's it's We've seen some examples of Stormcast not being killed, um, but it, it's rarely for this particular reason of, hey, don't we can't let Sigmar find out about this stuff. Um, so let's let's keep it on the down low and like entrap and, and his dudes, uh, which I think is a very uh, creative, um, if 
maybe not solution, but uh, a- approach to dealing with the um, the lightning reforging that um, the Stormcast normally go through. Because um, can you imagine how frustrating that must be uh, to be a Stormcast and, and froze up into a block of crystal? Um, whoops. Poor guys or, or gals in this case. Yeah. And, uh, and, and the, this Lord uh, Arcanum is specifically a anvil, right? An anvil of the Heldenhammer? Yeah, correct. Yeah. From the Do- Do- Dolorites Sacrosanct Chamber. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that that becomes like more important. Like it's strategic in that like, oh, she's, steal- she's changing the plan. But I maybe the betrayal isn't completely necessary because they are, you know, you know, she takes the Veronite from Ar- Archaon. They have together, they have foiled his plan to break into his ear. This is like, that part is a win-win. They are aligned in defeating that. Um, however, she is taking extra steps to make sure the sig- that the, um, the Stormcast do not escape the eight points, which becomes important later. Um, and, uh, you know, of course, she's actually stealing the Veronite, um, which is maybe not a plan that Sigmar would get on board with if he knew about it. Exactly. <laughs> well, that'll, that'll teach, that'll learn him for a, a lion, a lion with uh, Marathi. And so I think it's, now that she's escaped, she runs off with, with the loot, so to speak. Um, scene, scene ends there and we, we uh, smash cut to upstairs, basically above ground, whereas the rest of the, the majority of the um, Stormcast and I, I still believe there are still some uh, daughters of Cain also fighting with them are st- like sieging the walls, like the above ground walls of this of this like fortress. Um, their their goal being to sort of distract from the um, action down uh, down below. Uh, but I mean, it gets to the point where they end up um, fighting for their lives uh, in that they're st- storming these walls, and they think it's you know. Uh, uh, a victory was sort of with within their sights, within within their grasp, but it turns out. They've got these, uh, they being the, the chaos forces, the cast defenders, um, roll out these war shrines. And as the stormcasts start dropping, as they inevitably do here and there, their souls aren't rocketing up to Azir, uh, but instead are getting absorbed into these war shrines. Um, and so now the, the, they're, they're locked into battle. And so they've served their purpose. They've served as the distraction from do- down below. But like now they have to win or they have to try and survive. And it's making it that much harder because the war shrines are sucking them up, sucking them up. Uh, there's some valiant efforts by a lot of the Stormcast. They are able to, you know, bring one of the war shrines down, but that um, isn't necessarily enough. And it seems like a lot of the Stormcast souls are still getting sucked up into some of the other war shrines, but um, they are able to sort of a combined effort between some of the hammer, hammers of Sigmar and our, our boy Kaiser Van Brecht are able to bring down one such that a couple of souls are able to escape to his ear and, and, and um, let them know. What's Van Breck, in particular, he is yeah, sent. Yeah. They kill him so he can escape to warn Sigmar of what's happening. Yeah, and you got to imagine this is like a horrible outcome for the the Stormcast Eternals. They're used to being kind of this infinite, oh, near infinite fighting force that can constantly be recycled and reforged, and that's like kind of the mechanism for order to actually be able to push back against chaos and death is that they have this incredibly tough resilient and uh like almost infinite uh uh, uh, army um and like here they are sacrificing huge amounts of soldiers never to be returned that are getting sucked into hell um yeah and uh you know uh, marathi also all the daughters of the cane that are part of this expedition are also being killed um 
like. So like this is an incredible like sacrifice, like mission accomplished, but at a, a terrible cost. Um, and Vendrecht escapes, but he doesn't know that it was that Marathi has betrayed them. Because the, 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 story, the only Stormcast that could figure it out is uh, is now Crystal at the bottom of a hell mountain. Well, but there's a an interesting way that this is written, right? I, I was talking about how this is not written by an unreliable narrator. This is written by a third-person omniscient. And when Kaiser von Brecht goes up, it doesn't say the soul of Kaiser von Brecht. It says that which had once been Kaiser von Brecht yeah. was slept along a trail of cerulean energy racing towards the bruised sky, right? And it says yep. it again, that which had been Ben Brecht raced towards the light and freedom, even as the hungering coils closed in around it. Something has changed, right? Like, well, yeah, something has altered about Ben Brecht because of his sacrifice to take down one of these war shrines. So this is an interesting difference too. It's like, all right, so you're finally getting some people up. You're getting some actual information back to his ear that this is happening, right? But something has messed with the Lord Celestin, which is kind of cool. Well, I wonder if it's that or if it's more they're talking about once you reforge, they lose parts of themselves. And so mm-hmm. it used to be Van Brecht. It'll kind of be Van Brecht afterward, but it won't be exactly the same. Yeah. Based yeah. On that. But yeah. I mean, Paul, you could be onto something. I will give you that. Yeah. I think you're. I think it's just using a flavorful language to talk about the soul as opposed to literally Van Brecht, which is a living yeah. uh, stormcast. But well, yeah, we'll see. You know, but the, yeah, we'll find out. the second yeah, time it says it, it's connected by dashes. That which has yeah. been. Uh, yeah. So it seems. Uh, at first, I thought it was like, oh yeah, no, and then it was like, no, that's intentional. It's repeated yeah, twice, well, and the yeah. second time it's listed as one word. So, yeah, but yeah, interesting. Hold on, we'll see. All it. your takes. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm on board for the ride, if not for the destination. That's fair, <laughs> fair point. Strap, strap yourself yeah. in, boys. Yeah. Um, and it's also worth mentioning there was a, 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 a named character that was re- uh, referenced quite a bit and made a big deal of was this Id- idolater Lord Rokar Gresh, who is um, that. Uh, that named charioteer uh, general dude who like now has a box set and he's got a, a, a set of rules in, in, in the book. But um, he was uh, going to town on the Stormcast. Basically, he, he was like the boss that they had to beat um, at at this at this battle. Well, I don't I don't want to give him short shrift. Let's not um, mistake the fact that what we just had here was a wholesale theft of the majority of the known realm stone from a realm right like this is a straight out and out theft and the eight realms does not have much more that we know or the the um all gates does not have much more right and marathi is stealing magic from another realm yeah this is like the biggest vein of it that Mm -hmm. is known Um, yeah yeah, and she, yeah, she had taken it, and she doesn't know if there's going to be more or how, where they can find it. Like this is, this is, yeah, this is a very big deal. Mm-hmm. So you're saying this is, it was, this was a heist story all along. They were putting together a team. Yeah. Oh, definitely. You son of a bee, I'm in. Yeah. Um, but they do successfully manage to stop Archaon from taking out the gate, right? Like that is completely failed. Um, that is not going to be a threat at this point. 
Um, yeah, they but, probably don't have enough anymore to completely corrupt the gate. It seems like they still have some because they were able to, you know, create these specialized war shrines that, mm-hmm. you know, suck in storm castles. So they got yeah. they still got some. Um, they probably don't have the volume they needed to corrupt the realm gate. Or that seems to be what the case is. Uh, so we're going to do a scene shift here and we're going to move to Hagnar, uh, which is the source of power for Marathi. Um, and it's interesting to me um, that we start off with the headline of the Dominion of Shadrach. Uh, and that is interesting to me because um, Shadrach is actually, is I'm going to go a little outside here, but there were three, three brothers in an Old Testament Bible study that were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And all three of them refused to bow down to the golden idol of a god. And they were thrown into a furnace and survived. So I think that there may, there possibly could be some connection of what's going to happen moving forward um, as we move through Broken Realms. And so I'm just going to lay that there and see if maybe I can pick it up uh, if we see some more books coming out. Mm, interesting. It's the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hope it's right. what I do. It's what I do. I, I hope I'm right. right. <laughs> 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 All right. So I'm just going to say there's a super awesome map. Oh, yeah. Dominion of Shadrach in this book. It's got all sorts of interesting details and places and formations. And you could spend hours kind of looking at this and coming up with cool stuff. So. Definitely appreciated it. I I don't know if it's the first Ugu map. I I, I won't say that, but it, it no. the, it's the first that I've looked at personally. And so, like, likewise, it, mm-hmm. likewise. yeah, it's it's great to get a to get a glimpse. Yeah. So um, Hagnar is where we are going to focus this story, um, and it it's actually situated um, on a font of shadow magic known as the Heliflux. Um, so we've got kind of this cool floating island on top of this shadow magic um, typhoon, cyclone, whatever you want to be. Um, But we're introduced to a new concept here, which is that there is actually a free city in the city of Olgu called Misthaven. So um, we're definitely... Misthaven with a little little circle above the A. I apologize. One second. Let me get... Misthaven. Is that right? Yeah. I don't know how you pronounce that letter, but <laughs> I'm going to go with Miss Craven. I'm going to go with that. <laughs> All right. Um, I, apologies to anybody who actually can speak the language that is just terribly destroyed. Yeah, but there you yeah, go. It's a made up word. Um, it's a made up word. But apologies for destroying your language. <laughs> Miss Craven is a, a city formed of lashed together hulks. The Great Port Mist Haven is a den of criminality and deception. Uh, so this is a bunch of ships that are all lashed together, and they've built a city upon this floating um, being, which, I mean, just immediately I'm like, oh, that sounds amazing. I, I want to go there. That sounds absolutely fantastic for a setting. Um, and so we're back in Hagnar because Marathi has planned a massive, massive ritual. Um, and so basically what we're getting into here is that she's making this potion. Um, and the reason why she's making this potion is because 
Uh, she's tired of just being Marathi. She wants to be a god, and this is her plan to become one. Um, so this is where we're actually going to start to see some real wages of pain uh, and sacrifice being shown by Marathi as she's making the gambit to become one of the pantheon. Uh, so Marathi, uh, as, as Paul explained, Marathi uh, flees back to her the seat of her power, and she begins the ritual. This grand ritual is what it's all about. Um, although this is not the end game, this is this is a this is another step in her plan. Um, and uh, so, what the forces she have is uh, the daughters of Cain, which which she is the head of, um, but she also has a relationship to the kind of the mercenary peoples of Mishaven, um, being them pirates. You can buy them off, and so specifically, um, she uh, is has a relationship with the um, the captain of the Black Ark, uh, the Agonizer. Oh, and can somebody remind me of the captain's name? Terrace Nightscour, Fleetmaster yes. of the Black Ark agonizer yeah the knights the night scour um and so he he him and his forces are also like she knows the powers are going to move against her and and time is of the essence so she has paid um them handsomely to help defend her while she uh engages in this ritual um also we have the forces of the Aideneth deep can rising out of the depths and they have been rallied together by their great high king volturnus who has discovered the, um, you know, kind of the the heist of the, the the that magic lantern, and you know, covered in the kind of the corpses of the daughters of Cain, um, so they know who does it, and so they are going to return. They are going to try to get that lantern back and punish Marathi for her uh, trespass. Um, you know, both as a retribution, but also for they are terrified of their original fear that Teclis would use the lantern to hunt them down and wipe out their race. Um, so they are, they've rallied all of the, <laughs> rallied the clans, um, got all of the different uh, groups and enclaves of the Aideneth together and, you know, are bursting forth out of the sea to uh, take the lantern with Marathi needs for the ritual during the ritual. Um, there's another, there's another group that, um, that emerges on the scene. Does, uh, do y'all want to uh, chat about who else is coming to the party? Definitely. We have our Slanesh contingent. They've been following this prophecy and they know exactly where to go. And of course, our Herald is leading the way and a huge fleet of Slanesh uh, disciples, worshippers are on their way to this island and will find themselves having joining the party at some point during the battle. But while this is all going on, there's also another series of events that are occurring throughout the Shadow Realm, where all of the cauldrons, as we've discussed, are connected. Marathi has had these towers established on fonts of shadow magic, and she has champions of chaos kept there as prisoners. And during this ritual, she's planning a mass sacrifice of all these champions into the cauldrons for part of the ritual. Chaos champions uh, aligned with the gods that aren't Slanesh, basically, right? Yes. So we've got our normal yes. forces, we've got our Cain people, we've got our, our Zinch people, but like uh, I think it's a, just a marked absence of any Slanesh followers. Um, right. Yeah. Us, right. Horned rat, get right out. You don't even count. You're not even worth mentioning in this part. So honestly, when was the last time we even heard about Skaven in the moral realms? Really, like right? Like for real. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, according to plan. Yes, yes. 
Um, I just, I just want to jump back real quick to the Slanesh forces. So like we're, we're, we're on a coast here and like, so the deep can come rising up out of the ocean and they start laying siege to Hagnar. Um, but then like, uh, boatloads, and I literally mean boatloads of Slanesh uh, folks come rolling up and, and attack as well. Um, is this the first time we've ever seen seafaring Slanesh, uh, Slaneshi folks? Yeah. Sounds about right. Yeah. Doesn't yeah, I think Nurgle, Corn, we've seen before. Yeah, but I think this is the first time we've seen Slanesh. Now we're completing, <laughs> completing the cycle, uh, basically. I don't know. I just. Ninja airships. <laughs> it's just well, uh, it's a, yeah. a ju- the ju- juxtaposition of, you know, uh, the pirate life for uh, some sort of Lord of Pain is is interesting. And plus, like, uh, uh, what's her face? The the Herald Glavia Sinhart. She's got her chariot like in the holds of one of the boats, and eventually they like they they hit land, and the chariot comes bursting out of the hole, like just comes roaring out of the ship that they're on, um, mm-hmm. and starts slicing up fools. Uh, which yeah, is- yeah. It says their holes split apart to disgorge mobs of painted shrieking warriors and bladed chariots. Yeah, so they just like opened up. I wonder if that's intentional or if they crash on the rocks. It's a little unclear. Hey, why not both, right? Column A, column B. I did have a question. Feel free to edit it out. Uh, But so there's a little part here that says, only recently the Tower of Kiritar had been besieged by a mighty Slaneshi host under the command of the Lord of Pain, Gestherix. The Slaneshi warlord had breached the tower and slain scores of Malusai before finally being repulsed. Though not without glimpsing the secrets that the daughters of Cain had been concealing beside the behind the bladed walls of their fastness. That sounds like the Shadow and Pain box set. It sounds like you're doing this on purpose, uh, Paul, but that is the Shadow and Pain uh, story. So guess Gestharix is the Lord of Pain um, uh, sieging this one of these towers. And these towers, um, although not necessarily pertinent to the specific thing that we're talking about necessarily, but uh, they are... Yeah, I guess it is because it's connected sort of this umbral web and like the, the cauldron network as well. Um, but it is one of the sort of entry points into um, Ulgish, right? So it's this tower that's sort of protecting like a, a, a potential portal um, into that space between the realm of Ulgu and Hish, um, where, spoiler alert, Slanish is uh, hanging out basically by chains. And I want to jump in here, and I didn't want to. I initially did not want to do the blow by blow of this battle because I didn't think it was too relevant to the overall plot. Because you know, like different, like you have one force shows up. Oh no, how can we beat it? And the other force, like you know, pulls out their move, and then they're like, oh god, they're out on the ropes. Then like other things happen, but it is important, and or at least this 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 element is important. The uh, the Ideneth Deepkin were overwhelming the defenders of. Um, Marathi's base here. Um, they were they were kind of uh, they were flying over, kind of uh, zooming past the the forces of Misthaven. They were breaching the walls of um, of this this mighty palace temple city uh, where the ritual is taking place. And then the Slanesh arrives on the scene, and you kind of think like, oh, they're just going to wreck havoc. They're chaos. They're just going to go nuts. But they all specifically target the Ideneth Deepkin, and they roll into the backs of the Ideneth Deepkin and really like. Uh, really to shift the momentum away from that that battle, and they they like the the corsairs don't believe can't believe their luck. They're like what, and they're like great, um, and so like it really changes the kind of the focus of the battle and kind of I think the speed at which the the kind of the vanguard of the Idenf Deepin can breach the castle, which they do, they do get in there and they do reach the ritual probably a few moments too late, and why? 
why would the Slaanesh forces do this? Well, that becomes important in a second. Well, probably in a, you know, five minutes from now, we'll talk about why this is important. <laughs> yeah. Probably uh, 20 to 30 minutes from now. Yeah, I liked it because when the Slaanesh hit, you know, the daughters of Cain are like, oh, we hate you. And they completely forget the Idanith and they go for the Slaaneshi warriors. And like you said, the Scourge, Scourge privateers are like, our luck, we're out of here. They just pull out and we're gone. <laughs> so. They're like, you guys can have the island. <laughs> but yeah, this turns out to be very intentional. Like the, the Slaneshi forces are here for the purpose, and their purpose is to attack the Ideneth Deepkin. If I understand correctly, Volturnos is, realizes that, like, you know, uh, the tides have shifted, so to speak, no pun intended. Oh, oh. Yeah. And that, like, the only way, um, oh, God, there's one component that I can't remember specifically, but the only way that they're going to be able to stop what Marathi's up to is they're going to have to break off from their, their main force um, and have sort of a, it's not a vanguard, but like a separate, separate strike force to like break in um, to Hagnar proper um, and, and get at, get into the ritual chamber. And, and the Go thing ahead. is, it's not necessarily that they're like, Oh, this is terrible that Marathi has this plan. They're just like, dude, you stole our lantern, right? We need that lantern because if we don't have that lantern, Teclas can literally destroy us. Like, so to them, this is an existential threat to literally their very being. Whereas for Matthew, it was just like, ah, it's a thing I need. So yeah. like, that's why the Ideneth are going freaking crazy because they're like, crap, we do not want this to be lost and wandering around the realms because that lantern lets Teclas find them wherever they are so they can no longer hide. Yeah, true. So the, it's not ideal that they have to split up their forces, but it's necessary so that they can get at this um, at this lantern. And so, like he he he's peels off a contingent of like his cavalry. He's got a um, like an, another king from like the fourth fourthen fourth blood uh, riders. So I think that's that's the uh, that's the realm of fire, right? Those are the right. really like hot um, uh, eel rider dudes, um, and they make a break. Um, for the ritual room, basically. Uh, but as we alluded to, it sounds like they, they don't get there quite in time because it wouldn't be a very interesting story if they did. Uh, and um, Marathi kicks off uh, her ritual. Uh, basically, we have this mother cauldron, right? And this mother cauldron is connected to all the other cauldrons, which is how they're What'd able you call to me? get the Baronite. You know what I said. Uh, <laughs> and so... Mother's big, she's a cauldron. Exactly. Uh, so they start sacrificing these chaos worshippers that are in these towers, and their blood comes through, and they're able to actually start feeding Slanesh. And Slanesh is like, oh, dude, this is freaking awesome, right? Like, He's hungry. All of a sudden, he's like, wait, I'm eating the other gods, right? I recognize the ugly foulness of Nurgle, the tedious wrath of Korn, and this artless scheming of Zinch. But he really can't break forth from it, right? Like, this was Marathi's plan all along. Mm -hmm. And so she raised the Iron Heart, which is the heart of Cain, in one hand, and took up the Ocarian Lantern in the other, and strode purposely towards this mother cauldron. And she basically is just like, this is it. This is my moment. And she steps into the cauldron and starts her, quote, ascension. The cauldron is full of Varanite, like mm -hmm. full of like, you know, the, the most toxic stuff in this uh, crazy universe. And she just like jumps in. Um, well, she, she did treat it with, yeah, with she did try to stone. Yeah. 
Yeah, she did. She did do a lot of work to make sure it wasn't immediately uh, fatal, but still very like right. dangerous and volatile stuff. Um, right. And so she's got the Vera. She's got the Veronite. She's got the chaos. Um, the chaos uh, uh, worshippers of other gods. She's got the uh, what's the the Octarian lantern. Like all the thing, all the pieces, and she's using them now in this moment. Uh, and so it talks about how she's starting to like she made a connection between the mother cauldron and the belly of Slanesh. And she could feel the tremors of his anguish emanating from the portal and felt a surge of bitter satisfaction. She had inflicted upon her most hated enemy, only a mere fragment of the suffering she'd experienced in his hands, but it was a start, right? It was this, this isn't everything. This is the start of how she wants to torture Slanesh. Right. And her whole form just starts to slough away and she just starts grabbing everything. She's able to basically make this beeline into Slanesh's gut and start stealing all the souls that are left in him. So all the souls that were going to come out anyway for Teclas and Tyrion and Malarian and Marathi, she's just like, I'm done. These are all mine. I'm tired of waiting, so I'm just going to take these. Um, and it starts talking about the specific souls that she's taking and how there is character left in the stronger ones. Most of them are just kind of nothing, but they are um, king souls is what they're talking about. I really like the uh, mechanics of what is happening because it really all comes together. So she jumps into the cauldron and she breathes in the Veronite and the cauldron is connected to Slanesh and the, the, the other chaos worshippers are being sacrificed into cauldrons that are connected to Slanesh. And she kind of gets transported there, holding the lantern, holding the iron heart of Cain. And while these other souls are being fed into Slanesh, you know, he throws up. They're like force feeding them down and he like throws up more souls because he finds these things so disgusting. Because um, he can't take them into the body because they are a the, uh, anathema to him. Um, so, like, she uses all of these these other souls she's captured over probably centuries, millennia, um, to force uh, to force Slanesh to retch up um, a, a big, uh, you know, waterfall of elven souls, which you are talking about. Um, and then she uses the lantern to draw them in. This lantern's purpose is to draw in the elven souls. Um, so she has the lantern. She starts drawing in the elven souls towards her. And she doesn't want all the souls. Um, she doesn't want, she like, she it tosses the other ones away. She doesn't want the crappy ones. She only wants the best ones, the, the ones that are burning the brightest that haven't diminished um, since the millennia, since the, you know, the, the almost... Uh, uncountable number of years since they've been inside Slanesh being essentially tortured. Um, mm-hmm. And so now she's consuming these souls in particular. And like, she's become like, we're in a, we're in a weird kind of dream metaphor God land at the moment. And she's taking the form of a giant black snake and she's like sucking out the, the potency from these souls. And 
I, I really want to talk about who these souls are, but can, can somebody, I, I've been talking for too long. What, what is special about these guys? Well, it, what, what additional thoughts is, um, first of all, it's interesting where normally the elven gods are taking those souls and turning them into people, right? Like the, the gods are harvesting those souls and making, you know, individuals. They're making either the Deepkin or the Lumineth or like the, the variety of Daughters of Cain um, souls. But this Marathi is not using them to make something else, but rather she's sucking, sucking them dry herself. So she's absorbing them into herself and not doing something else with her, which is sort of different than what they've been doing uh, before. Um, furthermore, the, these king souls that she's you know drawing in, um, they realize that she's up to no good and uh, they start fighting back. And I obviously it culminates in one particular interesting point, but like even before that, they they start turning into eagles and clawing or, or clawing at her or they are waves of magic or all, all sorts of other things is they they realize things have gone south that she's maybe a bigger threat than even being in Slaanesh is. And so they're trying to fight her off but she's too powerful because all the stuff that she's like done is part of this ritual. Um, and then finally she comes face to face with a particular soul that I don't know anything about. So I have no business talking about someone else should do so. Well, so it says in a moment of weakness that cost her, would cost her dearly, the King soul filled with the rage at the slaughter of its kin became a sword of fire and blood, a blazing brand that hewed straight through Marathi's soul, sundering the very core of her being. The Shadow Queen reeled and screeched in agony, black ichor pouring from the terrible wound. As Marathi fell into darkness, cleaved in twain, the bloated body of Slanesh began to convulse. A chorus of demented groans issued from the captive god's thousand mouths, followed by a flood of glittering drool. This viscous torrent coalesced into a shimmering, protean shape that raced after the retreating sat Shadow Queen. So, um... Oh, yeah. Break it down. Uh, we gotta go piece by piece. There's a lot in there. Yeah. So we're talking about king souls right um so there's an obvious callback um in this to the old world where we're talking about perhaps the phoenix kings right that would be a super easy uh connection to make is the phoenix kings and, um, and, and Paul, before we get the paul take can you yeah. tell our audience what who the phoenix kings were good point uh the phoenix kings um, actually were the kings of the High Elves in the world that was. They lived on the island of Ulthuan. And the Phoenix Kings were the kings of the High Elves. So as the story of the Old World goes, is that there was the first Phoenix King, whose name was Anarion, and then he had a relationship with Marathi, and he had, they had a son. Um, they had several sons, but one of those sons was Malekith, who became Malarian. Um, and the trial to become a Phoenix King was to pass through these flames. And Malekith passed through the flames, but failed. And so he was never accepted as the Phoenix King. So we have all these other Phoenix Kings that went past after Malekith failed. A lot of these symbols, right? Flame-winged eagles, uh, blades of sunlight, waves of azure magic, right, could easily be seen as metaphors for these other um, phoenix kings. But the phoenix kings were the king of the high elves, and Malekith became the king of the dark elves in the world that was. Well, Mal so end times, Malekith does pass through the, uh, the, the flame of Assyrian and does become the last phoenix king at the end of the world. He was always the phoenix king. Turns out he was always supposed to pass through those flames to begin with. And it was a lie. So the rest of the Phoenix Kings 
were were they actually Phoenix Kings? Because the Phoenix King was alive the whole time. He just was never allowed to take the throne. Which is one of the really cool questions of the old world. I was going to say, that seems a little beyond the, the purposes of this uh, <laughs> particular podcast. Um, me, and, uh, me and Paul need to rehash the end times real quick. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're just going to go for the whole end of the world first, and then we can talk about this. Um, one of the uh, kind of things, why she was going after these souls in particular, and it's called out here, was they each had a spark of divinity. And this spark, um, I, I would interpret, is like their blessing of um, uh, Asurian, the uh, the king of the elven gods, and that is the flame they pass through um, to become the to become phoenix kings and to to make themselves worthy. And I think it's got to be Anarion is the one, the strongest and greatest soul, which she hesitates to destroy, and is the one that cleaves her in twain um, because of this hesitation, because of his strength. He is known as like the greatest of the high elves, um, and also interesting enough, he was the one cursed by Cain um, in the old. So he has a relationship to Cain as well. And so he turns into that, he turns into that sword, right? The sword is also a Cain relic or something like that, right? Probably, yeah, the, the sword of Cain. Yeah. Literally a maker, yeah. So I'm going to apologize to Martin first, right? I'm sorry, Martin. But I'm also going to go down a different path. Anirion is a perfectly acceptable, reasonable answer. Totally makes sense, right? Also the right answer. There are two other options the sword that Anirian picked up was the sword of Cain. It is possible that Cain himself became the sword and split a god in two because a god would have the power to split a god in two. And the sword that Anirian wielded was the sword of Cain. So there is a possibility that we are seeing not one, but two gods come into ascendancy through this, right? Um, again, and then the second answer that I will offer is that in the end times, Tyrion wielded the sword of Cain. And Tyrion also had a relationship with Marathi. Um, so it is possible, since we have not seen Tyrion, that Tyrion could have been involved somewhat in this interaction. That's a lot more far-fetched, because according to the unreliable narrator, He's been going on with Hish, et cetera, et cetera, but he also is not active at the moment. So it's theoretically possible. Let's put it that way. No, it's not. <laughs> um, yeah. It's I I think I really I'm on board with the relationships you're exploring here, like Tyrion's relationship to Kane, Tyrion's relationship to Marathi. Um kind of the twins relationship to the line of Alarion, uh, which they are the descendants of um, all of these are very interesting pieces on the, on the, on the pieces of the puzzle that we have to play with here. Um, I, I think I, I still think like Tyrion, like they've talked about him so much. He's just in Hish. He found Teclis. Like he Hish. discovered Te- yeah, Teclis. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, what, what else, what else we got? What else we got? Sure. Um, so the uh, so Marathi gets cut in half, um, which is noteworthy in that she has two models, and so now both those models are real. So she's sort of separated, like the high oracle aspect of her is separated from like the beast shield snake aspect of her. Um, and the dr- Slanesh drool goes rocketing off um, into parts unknown for the time being. Um, but despite this cleaving, the severing, um, 
of Marathi, she still uh, emerges from the ritual, uh, from a her broken mother cauldron, which breaks from like the ordeal. Uh, uh, apparently, and I guess maybe it remains to be seen, but I'm of the opinion that she, uh, a, a goddess, is born. It more or less worked. Yeah, I think she got like 85% of the way there, which is pretty good. 85%? Actually, you know, I hadn't really thought about that. In my head, it is either a yes or no thing. But like, no, she could have just been powered up. And that doesn't necessarily mean yeah, that she's well, a goddess per se. She probably, but. Been, she probably would have been more powerful if she got that last best soul. Um, but ah, she, you know, she did it. She did it. It worked. She's, she's a goddess. Yeah, it states it was a moment of weakness that would cost her dearly. So obviously, she didn't achieve her goal completely but yeah we don't know what what that gradient is i mean spoiler alert, she kicks ass the rest of this book so I yeah mean, yeah yeah before, but she kicks ass like like personally for the rest of this book so i well i think she but, did but the the costing her dearly could just be being split into two right yeah okay sure sure or it cost her so. or it cost her her dear lover and Irian. yeah but no, mm-hmm. she doesn't mm-hmm. get him I know exactly. she it cost her. She didn't yeah. get him. Yeah, yeah. I apologize. Can we just take one second to be like, all right, you're an elven king soul that has literally been trapped in Slanesh for forever. And you're like, okay, freedom. And then you're like, oh, it's Marathi. And then you literally do everything you do to defeat Marathi to stay in the belly of Slanesh. Like, how, how ridiculous is it that that is like, you're like, oh my goodness, this is terrible, but that is worse. Well, I don't know if the soul is still in Sledetch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, as she strides purposefully from, you know, wherever she was, her, her cauldron or what have you. Uh, the- no, she didn't stride at all. She didn't stride. The cauldron was broken by the king of the Deepkin. Oh, that's what it was. The, the ritual doesn't yeah. break it. He breaks it. Um, yeah. And then uh, there's all this mist of blood and they see her bestial form and then it unwinds its coils. And then there she is in her elven form. Sure. Okay. Good point being is she rolls up and she's like, oh, like you broke my cauldron. Uh, But you know what? I, this is me paraphrasing, I am a merciful goddess. And it seems as if, well, I mean, clearly she doesn't strike them down dead where they stand. But additionally, it seems as if she offers a deal, offers some sort of alliance. And it goes unsaid specifically what that uh, entails. Um, A little bit of a cliffhanger right here. But um, she she sort of offers her you know uh, metaphorical hand to the the king of the deepkin, and it even makes a point to say that like maybe a, a less rational uh, in group of people would would defy it. But uh, we're not de- dealing with the irrational. We're dealing with the stone cold, uh, methodical uh, deep uh, uh, deepkin, and uh, they hear her out. They entertain her uh, our offer. We don't know what that necessarily only after means. she beats them down, so they don't have much of a choice. <laughs> well, yeah, but maybe a, a more um, rash or brash uh, group would would fight to the death, right? They would be like, right, we're, right. "We're we're not gonna, you know, we're not gonna stand for this." But no, not the deepkin. Um, yeah. Though she is a player game, full powered up, like she kind of like yeah. stands aside, like the greatest warrior king that the Eidneth have, and she just kind of like you know uses her sweet shadow new shadow magic or new and old shadow magic and her twin bodies to kind of crush him and then she offers an alliance of peace specifically against the elven gods of light who they have no love for and she offers two gifts 
Um, yep. Well, one, one of them is a regift. It's the returning of that lantern, uh, which is. Oh, not- yeah, I broke it. <laughs> I broke it. Yeah. How terrible is that as a regift, right? Here, I got the sweet lantern. Oh, I broke it. Here, you can have it back now. Here, here, have my wonderful gift of the broken lantern now. Prefer it broken. They're, they just want to have it so Teclas can't have it and use it to kill right. them all. Um, yeah. That's not big a deal. I mean, still, if someone stole your, your stuff, broke it, and then tried to give it to you for Christmas, you'd be upset. <laughs> Uh, Morathi's not a uh, a traditionally good character, uh, <laughs> right? Um, but it's, it's the second part of that gift, which is important. Paven, you want to? Come yeah, to that? Uh, is she actually like w- at 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 some point during this process grab the souls of the oh man the Sathai who uh, we haven't uh, explicitly named, but they were the first generation of Eidneth Deepkin souls and the strongest generation of Eidneth Deepkin souls draw from Slanesh. Um, and they were the most noble and the most powerful, but they still had that flaw. And Volturnus, the high king of the Deepkin, is the last living Sithai. Um, and so we, uh, the Eidneth Deepkin had thought these souls lost forever, and she is returning them to them. And so this is a kind of a, a gift of immeasurable importance to the I, I uh, like uh, philosophically and emotionally. Mm-hmm. Where did she yeah. get them? Well, Great question. Yeah. Were they in Slanesh? They can't be in Slanesh. They just got pulled out of Slanesh. But I don't understand. Right, here's a question, right? Were these the only extra souls that she has? Or does she have other extra souls? Right? Number one. Yep. Number two. Yep. Are these whole souls? Whole souls. Right? Are these no, souls that can be put into the or whole souled? Yeah. So these are the whole generations that had the wasting souls. Yeah, exactly. So we have some like actual full bodied Ideneth, right? We don't have just uh, but what, what I'm saying body, is that zero bodied. You can <laughs> the way that the Idenes work, right, is that they pull these half souls and like kind of mix them together and and that's how they give souls to those Achaeans that weren't born with one. But we have full souls to give to those Achaeans now. Like we're we're entering new territory of you can actually choose some of the royalty to have a full soul. Which is something that has not been possible with the Idenet to this point. I don't. Th- they might do that. That's an interesting take on it. I thought they were just going to like take the souls back to the the corollariums and like help yeah. them there um, because they don't really recycle. Like you know, they're dead. Particularly, they just like reave the souls from the uh, from like the other races, and then they put all of the souls that of the passing Idenath into these uh, Colarium banks, where they like keep them safe from Slanesh, pretty much. Yeah. Well, which is where the Idenath, the Eidolons come from, right? Those are the embodiments of the Coralium. Yeah, those are like the gestalt consciousness of the dead Elven souls um, that. that form yeah but it but what ooh, it it is an open question i think a good uh, point of speculation is what will the Ideneth do with these kind of the greatest the souls of the greatest among them that have long been lost will they will they be used for another purpose besides just laying them to rest will they will they mm-hmm. you know be uh turned into a new miniature we don't know right yeah right. it's a, a checkoff's soul basically what <laughs> No, well, Chekhov's gun is where you bring it up. Oh, yeah, you, gotta, like, you have to you shoot have to... it. So, you know. But, I mean, it, yeah, okay. 
All right. <laughs> this is Act One. It's a. It's a, you bring it up in Act We're One. You have two. to shoot it. Act Two. We're literally. That was Act Two. Yeah. No, no. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, meant, I meant the. I meant the book. The book is Act One, and by the end of the series, they have to fire the. Yeah, they're gonna. We're gonna have vessel. a big soul gun, which would not be off brand for. <laughs> no. Bar. I wouldn't. I wouldn't even bat yeah. an eye at it. Um, yeah. All right. And then We're we go. And we are in Anvilgard. Uh, we found it. We did it. Completely interesting and new. Um, so Anvilgard. Uh, what is Anvilgard? Number one, is it a free city? It is a free city of Sigmar. Um, and this free city of Sigmar is a bunch of corsairs. It's a bunch of like people that are really not on the right side of the law. Like, hold on a minute. Misthaven and Anvilgard seem pretty gosh darn similar as far as their composition. Right. And we're, we're moving here with Marathi to be like, hey, Anvilgard, yo, what's up? Also, Anvils of the Heldenhammer, they're from Anvilgard. It's like, okay, wait a minute, right? Marathi specifically requested the Anvils of the Heldenhammer, and oh crap, something's going to go down and it ain't going to be good. Yeah. So I would, I would like to mention that, you know, it is a, a traditional free city of Sigmar. So it has, it's cosmopolitan. It's got humans, elves, and dwarves kind of working in an alliance to kind of maintain Sigmar's empire in the realms. Um, but you mentioned that particularly it is known for kind of its uh, crime and it's like crime, organized crime, and particularly elves. Uh, not nice elves are known to live there. So it has a big <laughs> order Serpentis of the court, the um, Scourge Privateers of the Darkling Covens. These are all kind of more common in Anvilgard than they are other cities. Um, but they, you know, they still have the Free Guild. They still have like Dwarven Engineers. Uh, they still have a, a you know, a, a storm cast. Uh, what is it? Stormkeep. Still the Stormkeep. Mm-hmm. And there's the the traditional like enclave that most cities of Sigmar have as well, and that like there is nominally this ruling uh, governing body, but um, as we sort of spend time there, and anybody who, who you know, there's the the city guide of Anvilgard that came out for Soulbound. You find that like it's this enclave is not really the ones that are in control, but it's the, that seedy underbelly has a has a hold on this on this here town. And uh, and one important thing is the Black Nexus, the actual the stronghold for. The stormcasts that are here safeguards four realm gates leading to prominent strategic locations. So. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, it is the stronghold is called the Black Nexus, right? Um, and there is a picture next to the Black Nexus, and the picture seems to have old fire snout, which is a cog fort. Oh my goodness! There is a picture of a cog fort. Is there this the first sighting of a cog? Oh yeah, as far as yeah. I know, absolutely. Yep. It's like, Definitely. oh my goodness! And what does it look like? It looks like a freaking spider. It looks like a huge mechanical spider. Yeah, that's freaking amazing. All right. <laughs> Paul, do you like spiders? I do. Believe it or not, it's super weird. Um, hmm. Yeah, that's a super cool picture of a cog fort. It is. I hope you like cog forts because there we go. Uh, I could take or leave them. Um, so uh, <laughs> let's let's return to uh, my favorite character in this book that I've just decided right now. But uh, our friend, uh, Ven, Ven Brecht, right? So remember, if you'll remember to like, I don't know, two or three hours ago when we were talking about it, um, he uh, was killed on the on the battlefield in 
um, eight the eight points. points. Yep, when they were uh, sort of sieging the, the Varenthax's maw. maw. Um, he heads back to Azir and he gets reforged. He re- uh, reveals what he knows, um, but he is tasked with a new assignment after his reforging. So forget all that uh, that happened with Marathi before, but instead, um, Sigmar has caught caught wind of the fact that there is some uh, suspicious goings on uh, in the city of Ambulgard, uh, maybe even more so than usual. It's already sort of been under the thumb of this sort of seedy underbelly, but now it seems like people are disappearing. There's these weird mists that are rolling in, um, and Sigmar knows that Vembrecht is he's a he's a lord. Um, uh, Veritin, I was going to say Venator, but Veritin is the right one. Um, and so he's well uh, versed in sussing out sort of, you know, hidden evils. And so he's sent um, to Anvil Guard. Uh, you know, he's also an anvil of the Helden Hammer. So it's, it, they've got their home base there. One of their home bases there as well. Um, and he's going to be tasked with rooting out uh, what's going on here. Um, and so that's his that's his new job, which is a weird kind of tonal shift from what we've been doing like we've been working on much like cosmic larger uh, events here and now we're like all right well let's let's uh, do a detective story real quick and see uh, what's what's going down in uh Amblegard. um remind me what they find like what 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 comes of it is he successful well so there's a lot of things afoot in Amblegard. um there's a lot of murders mysterious murders and um, he's trying to figure out like what's going on and who who's responsible. And Anvilgard has this shat known as to have this shadowy organization called the something coil, black scale coil, the black scale coil, which is a kind of a criminal organization and alternative governance structure to Anvilgard. And they are suspect for uh, Van Brecht and for these murders. And there's kind of a lot of destabilizing things in the, uh, Black Scale Coil also reports to a mysterious entity known as the Sovereign. Um, and so we're kind of like the the action kind of hit a crescendo with the ritual. Now we're kind of like and more ominous, like what's going on, a little bit of mystery, a little bit of crime. Um, yeah, and it seems like things are getting more and more destabled or uh, not destabled. That's not a word. Um De- but I don't know what it means, though. Destabilized. Destabilized. Yeah. Destabilized. Yeah. Destabled in Anvil Guard. And um, just as things are like getting worse and worse, I think uh, an old friend shows up on the scene. Indeed, but too late because the the Darkling Covens have been winding, you know, their tendrils into everything around here as part of the Black Scale Coil, using mental domination techniques to establish a spy network and, and control throughout the the citizens of Anvilgard. So as the Stormcast and the Dwarden start to assemble, because there's this mist that rolls into the city, and they start losing contact with other units throughout the city, they begin to form a defensive perimeter and get attacked by waves and waves of elves. It's a shame. But it's a variety of elves, right? Like, So we already know that the city is controlled by, like, the what we would consider Warhammer Fantasy Dark Elves, right? Like the yep. Darkling Covens and the those Scourge Privateers and things like that. But and remind me, uh, uh sort of out of the mist also come some some daughters of Cain too, right? Like isn't that where they get they get introduced now as well? Mm-hmm. Or is it is it only the classic? No, okay. I thought yeah, I thought they are sort of joining forces and like well actually before that even Marathi shows up to the city as like not like a savior. Like don't worry right. you're having all these problems. I'm here to help. You know, I'm great. 
Uh, everybody really likes me. I got all these new forces. We got a temple of Cain. I'm going to visit the temple, you know, take in the sites. Don't worry, guys. It's all fine. Then Breck's like, this is way too convenient. Uh, but he isn't able to prove anything. Um, and then the violence continues and, and escalates. Um, and we realize that like kind of the most of the elven population is, is rebelling against the kind of non elven Sigmar loyal population. Um, and then we're we're in the action again. We're in the in the thick of it. All right. Uh, so I, they they start to make some moves, and there's kind of like a, a battle for the city. And Van Brecht is like essential in rallying the defenders. And there's some there's some elves that didn't go over to the kind of the Marathi side. There's a uh, free gold. There's dwarves. Kind of like a you know this multicultural alliance. Um, and they decide they they are going to retake old fire snout. Uh, old old fire snout's defenders had been killed. Uh, and like occupants, but they, the dwarves think they can get it running again. And it's an incredible, you know, it's like a, a moving uh, castle. Um, so it's an incredible uh, uh, military asset. So they, you know, they fight their way through a number of tunnels. They get on board um, old fire stuff, the cog for they use it, they move it into position. They, they start trying to uh, um, uh, ease off the siege. Cause right now kind of the last bastion of Sigmar's power in this city is the, is the storm keep of the anvils of the Helden uh, Hammer? Um, so they, you know, that they try to relieve that siege. Things are looking good for some reason, and we don't know why, or maybe we do know why, and I missed it. None of the they're getting no reinforcements. Um, the there's no there's no no other you know uh, forces coming through the realm gate of which there are four um, to help the city. And, uh, you know, part of this is tactical. Like they don't, Marathi has explicit orders not to kill the Stormcast, but to use super poisons on them to make them go to sleep and be paralyzed. Um, so that's one way that she's preventing word from getting to Azir. But like, it seems like, you know, Marathi promised uh, kind of the forces here that there wouldn't be reinforcements coming. And I don't, is there a clear, like, is there another game that we're not aware of that's being played? Like what else is going on at the same time that prevents nobody else from showing up to help Anvil guard? Right. Right. Yeah. No, she only says that uh, nobody else will be coming. We don't know why. Yeah. Or how. And it sounds like she wants to delay the information from getting to Azir period. Um, by like by not killing the stormcast eternals and turning them into lightning bolts by but by incapacitating them which is very a very costly strategy because they like you know they kick ass on their way down and it's way harder not to kill them um but that that's the strategy they take um okay so the, the battle is raging the cog ford is like shooting out fire and rockets and missiles and things are looking a little better like um i think the the anvils sally forth from the castle and take the fight to the the mind bound darkling covens. They, uh, they do this one moment where they start singing like ancient hymns in the castle um, as part of their like kind of battle traditions. And that is very intimidating. And even like the, the elves that are like, you know, uh, mind controlled, get a little nervous. Um, but then Marathi shows up and she's like, all right, well enough of this. And the big Marathi, big snake Marathi destroys old fire snout and just like kills everybody inside it. Um, and uh, I think little Marathias cinches the deal in in the city, and they are not able. And the 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 stormkeep falls, and Anvil Guard, um, yeah, Anvil Guard becomes uh, becomes a new city. Can somebody talk to me about this new city that it becomes? 
Well, uh, I'm going to talk about the moment of the fall, right? So Van Brecht is coming to uh, Kraith, right? Uh, and is like, I just need to kill her, right? If I kill her, this insurrection is over, right? So he walks over and he just shows his lantern of abjuration to her. And she just starts screaming and falls down, right? Like her mount dies and he's just like, got it. I'm raising my sword. I'm going to kill her, right? And then it says, a shadow fell across him. He looked up to see something vast racing through the misty clouds. He got a glimpse of night black scales and heard the beating of leathering wings. Then it switches completely to the Shadow Queen crashed down upon the parapets of Old Firestone. Right? So Marathi is taking out this cog fort. But that's a super interesting little aside that doesn't get resolved. Right? Van Brecht is literally on the way to take out the leader and just complete shift of change. And we're, we've got different characters we're taking with right now. Right. And so Marathi being a God now is just like, Oh great. You have this great mechanical monstrosity. Sorry. I don't really care. And just literally starts taking it apart and just destroying everything. Right. And at this point it's just like, everything is done and we're just going to, you know, we we stop seeing Anvil Guard. And we start seeing a new free city. It's truly free. I was going to say, I don't know how free it is. <laughs> Mind control. <laughs> yeah. The, the new city is dubbed Har Kuran. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what, uh, what that looks like in the future. But at this point in time, it's an elven only city and all the other well all the stormcast defenders are knocked out and uh, the rest of the defenders are wiped out yeah do we get a do we get a, a sense of the city after the fact like do we know what it what it's about uh, well we know we know the rules uh so like they are a city of sigmar army uh well they follow they follow the city of sigmar rules but they don't take any stormcast it's pretty much only uh, evil elves with that can take daughters of Cain units as well. Um, very, it very, it fits the theme very well. Um, yeah, and it, it, it's interesting. Even before the city fell, uh, the defenders noticed that the banners that the elves ha- uh, had were defaced uh, uh, anvil guard banners that had the symbol, the elven symbol for Harkaron on them. So, like, they already their plan was to become the new city of Cain. Um, like all along. Yes. And then uh, the whole story wraps up with two interesting lore tidbits. Bombshell. Maybe the most interesting uh, tidbits. That's to sell the rest of the story short. I'll take one. So uh, Van, Van Brecht wakes up in like a jail, basically. And he's got this jailer who's giving him a hard time kind of hassling him. Um, Van Breck says, you know, I'll, I'll kill you before this day's over. You know, just classic jail stuff. Um, but there ends up being a loud noise outside and the sound of, you know, you know, things like doors getting smashed in and people, death screams um, going on. And uh, the jailer goes out to the classic story of the jailer going out to look and then the door gets smashed in. He gets grabbed by a giant claw and ripped out of the room. Um, Van Brecht is able to follow 
this trail of destruction. He finds the jailer, ends up killing him, so fulfilling his promise that I was going to kill you by the end of the day by like snapping his neck or something. But he's failing, following this trail of destruction leading out of his his um, the black know, arc. Yeah. yeah, black arc. Yeah, this this where he's been locked up, um, and it seems as if this trail of destruction is intentional, like he's being led um, out outside, and he's able to eventually get you know get to fresh air. He's get to, to exterior of wherever he's been locked up, and he's looking down. You know, however, several hundred feet above above the water, um, and he can look up and he sees that there's this creature who's, you know, nearby, like perched up on a rooftop or something like that, looking, looking down at him. And it's this bat winged red eyed creature, which presumably had something to do with his escape in that is sort of the end of the scene. Um, shall we talk, shall we talk about it? Cause obviously the question on hand is who is this thing? What is this thing? Who sent it? Uh, uh, and it, it does say a, was a figure wreathed in shadow. Creature's mm. eyes, pinpricks of crimson light boring into him. Even better. And so uh, for anybody, I feel like this has been one of the one of the main mysteries, at least for me, as to what we think this creature might have been. Shall we take time now to hypothesize? I, I think it's malaria. And I think uh, he knows he's, what his mother's been up to, and he wants Sigmar to get wind of it so that he can help put her back in her place so i think he's taking a personal hand perhaps or maybe one of his lieutenant shadow demons that he's he's friends with but yeah, i think it's him uh that's one guess does anybody have a different guess uh it could be a vampire i think the shadowy tendrils though it's like, uh, but yeah no i agree with you eyes blood flicked claws bat wings um you know if like think of other power players in the in the realms um you know nagash could be you know sowing you know has a express interest in sowing division within the order pantheon true very true oh, hey, possible yeah paul do you got a different uh, guess uh, of course i do it could be marathi marathi specifically <laughs> requested the anvils of the Heldenhammer. She has bat-like wings. Um, we don't know the but color of her eyes. She's a giant monster with bat-like wings. Oh, sorry. The point, the point isn't to argue with the Paul point. It's to let it wash over you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Better man than I. Yeah. Right? Well, it depends on how important this Van Brecht is. Right? If he is literally the character that is supposed to have everything go forward, right? Marathi seems to know a whole lot more than she's going on. And why she's in Anvil Guard in particular is an interesting thing, right? Out of every free city, why is she in Anvil Guard? The high right? concentration of yeah. Uh, dark so like, yeah, the first obvious point is this was easy pickings for her. Like, mm -hmm. uh, wait, Marathi is the sovereign, right? It, well, who knows, right? What we like, think think Marathi is the sovereign because I thought she, I thought she was the sovereign, but it's I've been told that it's not it's never explicitly stated. So there's a chance that she's not. That we stated, yeah. So to complete the point, I think like one the like the surface layer logic is this is easy for her to take. Like she's been laying the ground worth. She's taken the city now that she's a god. Her 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 next order is conquest. Because Marathi works on kind of ten steps ahead. Um, there's got to be something deeper here. Uh, yeah. Well, there's like the four realm well, Why is and, so important? Yeah. Yeah. And see, here's the question, right? Like to me, 
as I said before, Misthaven and Anvilgard are almost the same city. Why doesn't she take over Misthaven? It's so much easier to get to. It has the same predominance of elves. Why does she go for Anvilgard? It has to be something other than the elves, considering there's literally a free city on her doorstep that is a threat and not under her control. Well, I think the and, scale's different. I think Anvilgard's a lot bigger. But like so von but von Brecht seems to be the key. He's been the main character. He's in the war host, the storm host that she specifically requested, and he's got a pretty decent background. And apparently Marathi fought with him in yeah. the Athanasian whatever. Well, so, and that didn't fight with him necessarily, but I think um, I mean, one justification is the reason she wanted the anvils as part of the invasion of the eight points was just to weaken anvil guard. Like, right. just mm-hmm. get as many of these guys out of the city because I'm going to take the city in two in like six chapters. I'm going to try to yeah. so that's one, one obvious at uh, one point, but I do think it is deeper. Um, I, I, I suspect Van Brecht as a character is a character we follow, but doesn't necessarily drive the plot forward. Like, he is involved in all this but he doesn't accomplish anything he's just like <laughs> a viewpoint he's a messenger yeah he doesn't accomplish anything yet or he can be the stand-in for the audience right like he's the eyes mm-hmm. through which we see a lot of the stuff going on yeah not all of it obviously but some yeah i i think van brecht is definitely going to be recurring and i think he's mm-hmm. going to be important but he's not i don't think he's going to be important for any kind of uh, uh, uh mythological reason just real quick, let me. I'll answer what, what I think. I agree with. Uh, it was Pavement who said it was a, a vampire. Um, in so I don't think we've stressed it in the, this context, and that he does come from a line of folks who did succumb to the soul blight curse, and so he has the connection to uh, vamp- yeah, vampiricism or, or what have you. And so it doesn't seem to be a stretch that like his family could have came to save him, even though like it also says that like he's a fanatic in terms of like wiping them out. So. There's that. I suppose that'll be a weird Thanksgiving. Um, but uh, I, I still think that, like, since he has that connection, it to me is very clear that That's it's a vampire. A great point. And it could, it could drive some of those rumor, you know, that, mm-hmm. that there could be vampires coming. You know, maybe this yeah. is a drive into that soul blight force as part of this series of books. I also want to point out the last line for another 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 advocate for the the death. Um, uh, take is that the last line of here is in an instant the thing was gone leaving van brecht alone on a dead ship um specifically uh i think it's this ship is going to be related to the realm of death and to the forces of death um oh, no, it's because he killed everything that's where we're going next <laughs> i have heard some people speculate it was bellicor because he's the prince of darkness but oh, i don't think i think that's a far good one that's another good one i think that is a, a he was yeah. literally just called out and the eight points. So, but here's the other thing, right? That's actually not the last words in the lore phase or the lore Uh-oh. section, is it? Oh, no. another, uh, there's another cliffhanger. Oh, yes. There is another cliffhanger where we find out about something called the newborn. Oh, yuck. So the newborn <laughs> is that drool from Slanesh. And lo and behold, it is surrounded by Slanesh worshipers. But we have no idea what it actually is yet. But it is being protected by the Hedonites. And it's about to speak its first words. Uh, yeah, I guess Slanesh is back, baby. And uh, in some shape or another, yeah. yeah well, you know. but it's worse than ever. 
But when the saliva moved, it said that Slanesh was still chained. Yeah, it's like kind and of still a, imprisoned. Yeah. It's like both. It's both at once. You know what I think is really interesting is you know when we when we went through the. Uh, behemoth battle tome they talk about barfing up progeny you know this is the same thing slanesh barfed up some progeny so there's this re- reoccurring theme of regurgitating oh. your young <laughs> i don't like, i don't like this theme hold on. i don't like it at all yeah hold on let's do this callback here right where was marathi when she was cut by the sword she was in slanesh well no she was an insulinesh yeah, but she was pulling from Slanesh's belly. Yes. Did Slanesh get cut in half? No, I think I think no. Slanesh like no. birthed itself, which is very Slanesh to me. Um, but also, I want to draw this line here. This is why the Slanesh army attacked the Iden at Deepkin because they wanted Marathi's. They needed Marathi's ritual to go off, so this kind of sick birth would take place. Um, yep. like they got what they wanted, which is like a reborn Slanesh. And I think Slanesh is going to exist in two places at once. Um, and it's going to be real yucky. Um, well, so the other thing I would note is that um, this is another winged creature. And we don't know the color of the eyes, right? Is it the baby on the, in the, on the roof? Maybe it, that was the baby on the roof. We don't know. That's uh, it's also a possibility because there are no models in Slanesh that are winged. Greater demons? Nope, no, they're greater demons. Nope, they don't have wings. Yeah, you're right. The, the, well, and that's the thing is, this is not a Slanesh model, unless it's a completely new thing that we've never seen before, because Slanesh moves fast over ground. Why would Slanesh need wings? Because it's it's just better. Slanesh have wings. What? Uh, Demon princes of Slanesh. Oh, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah. There's a lot of threads to pull here at this end of the book. Do we? Do we want to? Does anybody have any specific speculations as to what this newborn is going to be? Do we think it? Does anyone else have any other other thoughts as to whether or not it's Slanesh or Slanesh is like a, a an heir to Slanesh or some other thing, or do we all just agree that it's a Slanesh baby? <laughs> I think it's progeny. You know, I think it's you know multiple forms essentially of the of the same god. You know, manifestation in the realms. I think yeah, I think it's something special because well, it, it's going to be Slanesh, but it's going to be like both born of Slanesh and Slanesh itself. And I think you know it, it, it. What is special and interesting is the chaos gods don't manifest themselves on the realms, or at least I can't. Maybe they they did it in the realm of chaos. Maybe once uh, you know, corn might have shown up. Uh, every once in a while, but this is like more of a permanent manifestation of an actual chaos god. So, like, Slanesh found a way to like get himself like into reality more so than the other gods. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I think that's going to be an important plot point. But we have to recognize that Slanesh already broke the rule because he is manifested in the realms. He's in Gul Urgul Hish. So he already has manifested in the realms. That's a sub realm. Yeah, I don't. But, I, don't I don't know how, how strong that rule is. Uh, I don't yeah. know if it makes sense in all contexts. Well, but every other chaos god is in the realm of chaos. Yes. So, I'm, so I'm saying since he, it, it, one form or another, is already in the realms, he has broken through that barrier. Yes. Gotcha. Maybe not by Point. choice, but he already exists within the mortal realms. Which is something that a no other chaos god has ever done. 
I think I do think they show up sometimes. I remember a story of Corn getting pissed and knocking out a, a flying city out of the sky during the realm of chaos. I thought he did that with his skulls. I thought that was the whole like bronze skull thing. Punched it. I was like, no, this is cheating. They're trying to (laughs) cheat range, and he just. (laughs) That's super sweet. I'm totally for that one. Um, (laughs) Should uh, we talk about some listener questions? Should we do that? Yeah. Um, All right. Cool. Uh, and I skipped one, um, but we kind of already mentioned it. So, uh, Tyromancer had asked, uh, do we know why? Oh, and actually let me stop right there. Hey listener. Yeah. I'm talking to you. No, not that guy, that guy. Uh, if you want to get your question on the moral realms, the story phase, what you want to do is this, you want to join our discord channel at www.themoralrealms.com slash discord. Uh, hang out there all the time, every day, all day hang out with me every day all day because i'm just sitting in there waiting for you to show up and then on random days with no set schedule or rhyme or reason i'm going to ask hey does anybody have any questions for the episode that we're recording tonight and you'll say yeah i do have a question and you'll type it and then i will record it and i will put it in our show notes and then we'll ask it that's how you do it so for example tyromancer did just that what i just described and he asked do we know why she decided to take animal guard she meaning marathi i feel like we already talked about it okay that was a bad example let me give you a new one Uh, Short answer is no. We don't know. But we yeah, can, correct. We can yeah. feel. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. But we already, we already talked about it. Another question from Excalibur Nick. He wanted to know, kind of related, uh, why are the anvils of the Heldenhammer such terrible defenders? First, they lose a storm vault that releases Catacros, and now this. He actually said now stuff, but I, now this sounded better. Um, oh. man, they don't have a great track record. Uh Sounds like they spread pretty thin, though. You know, they're here. They're now in the eight points. They were in Shayish. You know, you know. That is a good point. That, that's a very solid answer. Does anybody have a better answer than that? Yeah, poor anvils. I don't. Uh, do Do we have any great wins of the anvils of the Heldenhammer? Like, where did I can't think of any. Ah, uh, me neither. <laughs> Maybe they're just the whipping boy. Little. Even in Soul Wars, the book Soul Wars weren't most of the good guys. Like. Hammers a Sigmar? He, Helios mm-hmm. was, and he's like the best dude in that book. Anyways, um, so you're right. The Anvils of the Heldenhammer, especially because they're like reforged heroes of old. Maybe just because old heroes are terrible and like you got to get the, you got to get that new hot stuff. Well, um, but in the defense, right? So Lethys lost the Storm Vault, right? But the Storm Vault wasn't actually the treasure that they were assigned, assigned to defend. The real treasure was the friends they made along the way. You know, that's a good They point. were assigned to defend the 10,000 tombs. And they did defend the 10,000 tombs. Okay. So, right. so this is some anvils uh, uh, apology. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying. That was an unequivocal loss. They Catacross got released. I mean, it was tough. Right. I mean, there was, there was a lot of going against them. Yeah. Um, all right. I got another question uh, from our boy Koros, and he wants to know. Uh, do you think Sigmar will retaliate, and how would he do that? That's a solid question, uh, Paven. You were you were talking about looking forward. Here's here's a looking forward question. Uh, what's Sigmar gonna do about it? First of all, how long do you think until he even knows that something's up? Right? Because like as far as we know, every person who's witnessed the dirty deeds um, has been deprived of their reforging. Um, I, mean, I guess they're gonna call break. Anvil Guard and, fig- and un- <laughs> try to figure out like well, you know why the anvils of the Heldenham aren't picking up. They're going to figure it out eventually. Just <laughs> keeps going plus, to voicemail. Plus, Ben Brecht is alive, right? Like, he could literally yeah. slit his throat right now and in, in, in boogie on back. I, I mean, I doubt it, but, like, that, that, there's that in their back pocket. 
Um, yeah, I, I suspect um, the kind of events will get away from Sigmar. I, I imagine the next thing will be so pressing that he will have to like put Marathi to the side because like Amvilgard's still in the is still in the hands of order. You know, you know, Marathi, you have problems with Marathi, but at least you know Nagash didn't take it or Archeon didn't take it. Yeah, and he's got all his people in in the eight points. He's still got to get out. Yeah, and there's and you know you know whatever the next crisis is, whether it's Godrak, whether it's vampires, whether it's Slanash. I mean, there's going to be a bigger problem, and I think Marathi is going to be like, hey, we could fight about this now, but we have this bigger problem now, which she is aware of and probably helped yep. cause. Um, exactly. Like we need to join forces, you know, and she'll make up some excuse like, uh, you know, there was a terrible vampire cult inside of uh, Anvil Guard that I had to root out. And sadly, uh, you know, the L- the handles didn't survive. Well, and the other thing is, uh, she did what she promised to Sigmar. She stopped the gate to Azir from being also corrupted. True. Also true. Right? So this is a small loss compared to losing a gate. Yeah, but I mean, overall, order is worse off because Slanesh is be- being reborn mm-hmm. in the realms. Uh, but there is things that Marathi can point to and just be like, hey, like, you know, we got we to gotta crack a few eggs, you know, to win this war. And I think she will, Sigmar will be forced to de-escalate. So I don't think yeah. Sigmar will, re, will, will be in a position to retaliate. I think he would like to. Um, but, you know, he doesn't have very many allies left. Yeah. Yeah, no, this is what we call in chess, it's called a fork. You know, you've got a piece where you could take out two different pieces. And so Sigmar is there like, okay, I've got my forces in the eight points or I've got Marathi. Or, you know, what do I have to choose? You know, so Marathi's definitely positioned herself into a position where Sigmar is not going to be willing to retaliate at this point in time. Um, I think Sigmar, although he's gotten wiser over the years, I think he's not going to make the right choice. Like he's not going to make the wise choice and maybe he'll walk, he'll react brashly. Um, and he will slap that red button and release a new chamber. That's what I. That's what I'm calling. Uh, the hell he can't. All right, another question storm, from Storm Group of Retaliation. Yeah, you know it. Uh, Minerva's wants to know. She says, uh, "Hey, Marathi, out of all the leaders of factions, has suffered in a very personal way. Does she get a measure of revenge, revenge and justice for this? Well, she became a goddess, so like." Living well is the best revenge, I've always said. And so I think uh, she's coming out on top. She tortured a chaos god for a little bit. You know, how many people can say that? Not me, not you, I assume. Uh, what do you guys, th- uh, uh, Paul or Paven, does she, does she get revenge? Yeah, I, I mean, she she definitely get, uh, comes out on top and she, uh, you know, uh, takes it to a lot of her enemies, although not all of her. I mean, her list of enemies is long. Yeah, I mean, she she does some damage to her corruptor, although does play into his hands a bit and allows the birthing of its of its child, uh, which is uh, uh, you know yeah again yucky. Um, yeah, I think uh, Minerva's brings up a lot of interesting points about Marathi being you know uh, a somewhat sympathetic character in that she spent an eternity tortured inside Marath uh, uh, Slanesh and was like kind of corrupted and and changed and out of control of her kind of own, uh, body. And yeah, I, I, you know, Miranda, I definitely just kicks ass throughout this whole book and it all works out 
almost flawlessly for her, her, you know, her playing all of the factions in Age of Sigmar against each other in certain ways. Um, so, yeah, I think Marathi comes out on tra- top. I don't think justice is the right word because she right. is Revenge. Not, uh, necessarily <laughs> like a moral character. And like, you know, she harms a lot of people that were irrelevant to her suffering. And I don't think she like balances the scales against like the, uh, you know, against uh, anyway. Yeah. Uh, but so uh, she did say this is a start, right? So I think she does get at least some measure of revenge against Slanesh. But I'd also point out she now wields shadow magic. Mm-hmm. So always. Well, but she's now a god, right? So is yeah. she stealing that shadow magic from Malarian? Is she getting revenge on two gods? Sure. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. How does that uh, sharing a realm uh, work out now? Because... Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's not a god of the realm. The reason why Malarian was became a god was because he had taken the you know the wind of darkness or whatever, right? Like that's the idea. And Marathi didn't have one of the winds at the end times. Right. Well, she's now a god. So where does that power come from? She's stolen from Archaeon, right? Obviously, she took the Veronite, and mm-hmm. but she's ending up taking Shadow as well. So this is a comp- like so as far as revenge absolutely but also she's a completely different kind of god we don't have gods like this in the the age of sigmar so she has made herself a god which is super fascinating Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and i and i wonder too you know the way that she was cleaved and had to withdraw during the mm-hmm. ritual, she may be completely unaware of this slanesh newborn, unless mm-hmm. somebody visualized it flying away from her uh, her her place of power. But uh, she may be unaware of the the side effect that she's caused. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm gonna keep the hits are gonna keep coming. Um, Severa Elon wants to know, since Marathi proved it's possible for mortals to seize godhood. It's actually this is related to what we're talking about. Um, who else? is going to try for it. Broken Realm's going to create a new pantheon? What do you think? Are we going to get... Is there going to be a whole... Are we going to be a wash with new gods? Gods left and right? Are we going to have Grimnir come back? Okay. That would fit. Yeah. Possible. That would fit. Um, and I, mean, I do know, think like, he'll be back one day, so like, why not yeah, Maybe a Maybe a Dwarden god. Yep. You know, I mean, there were Grimnir. I was thinking of... Uh, mm-hmm. The female Valaya, I can't remember. Valaya, yeah, Valaya, Valaya, yeah, yeah. She'd definitely be an option or a new one, right? What yep. to say? Yeah. There wouldn't be a new god that we have. Come on, Garnos, come back! Oh, that is crazy. Just say, you just want to win the. You just <laughs> want to win the thing. <laughs> well, I want the Karnathi too, which would be awesome, you know. So mm-hmm. yeah, true. Well, and imagine if we had a new pantheon of only order gods. That'd be super interesting. I would like to see, um, I think uh, when I think of like ambitious characters that want to achieve godhood, I think of like the vampires, um, part of Nagash's uh, Mortarks, specifically uh, Manfred and Neferata, who, um, you know, it, I think uh, in, in some ways seek to be out of, from under the dominance of Nagash just by character. Um, and it also, I think death is the most ripe for 
infighting and faction, I think that would, you know, I think death is a little bit too much of a monolith for my taste. And I would love to see some kind of a spoiler, um, like, you know, uh, infighting and death um, to like uh, uh, fracture them a bit. So I think that would be, those are the folks I would think would, you know, try to take a shot of getting the piece. Well, and, and what if Misthaven and Harakiron are just the beginnings of the new cities? What if we're going to get a death city of, you know, death cities? What if we're going to get destruction cities or chaos cities? Yeah. As an, I don't know, maybe this is one of my final thoughts, but I love the expansion of uh, the existing cities into new Mm -hmm. places and with new rules and like different twists on those rules. I'm super happy to see that, uh, that uh, faction expand in, in a very new yeah, no, so my my hobby project that I'm going to work on next is my Corsair army. My Corsair army has taken the Griff Chargers and the Griff Hounds from the Stormcast, and they are now being ridden by Corsairs instead. Um, which, when I created it, I was like, oh, it'd be a cool AOS thing, but now literally fits specifically into Harkiron, where the Stormcast have not been allowed to go back to the heavens. And it is possible for people to just go around and loot their stuff while they are completely disabled. So, yeah, like the the amount of new narrative is tread ground to be tread is just a massive. So cool. Yeah. All right. Final cro- uh, question. Uh, Klaus wants to know if Marathi has become a god. Is she a shadow of her former self? Ha! It's a, it's a joke question. It's because she's a shadow. And, and she's got cells. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you get it. Josh, you get the joke. Um, but she literally can become a shadow of herself if she stands one in front of the other. <laughs> that's, that's true. Um, so uh, I think so. that was the, the, the end of our, our listener questions. Maybe we'll we'll wrap it up with our, our final thoughts. Um, Paven, you'd already touched, I think, you scratched the surface of your final thoughts. Do you have any additional comments to make um, in, your, in your closing arguments? Um, I, I think this is like my favorite book that, uh, games workshop has put out for age of Sigmar. I think it, it expands in a a lot of exciting new narrative directions, the current rules, it updates factions in ways that are very interesting. Um, I think on the cities of Sigmar episode, I was scared that these are where, uh, you know, these are the rules where miniatures go to die. Um, and it seems like we are not, that is not happening in there. We are getting more support for the cities of Sigmar. It also moves the narrative forward in a very satisfying way that we don't always see from, uh, age of Sigmar mainline fiction. Uh, like there weren't any like battles against named characters where the ground splits apart and it divides them. So it's, uh, you know, everybody lives. It was like, things felt consequential, Things felt meaningful. Um, you know, things were complex in ways that were very satisfying. And there was a lot of left, like a lot of mystery left open. Um, so this was like, uh, yeah, I'm super pumped for the Broken Realms and the rest. And I can't wait to see where they go next. Awesome. Uh, Josh, what uh, what were your final thoughts on on this yearbook? Yeah, no, I echo a lot of those thoughts. Uh, I think this... There's definitely a campaign book that integrates so much across the realms and, you know, in the eight points as well. It pushes the, the story forward in multiple directions, kind of leaving conflict in several different places. That is going to be really interesting to see how it evolves in the rest of the books. Right on. Um, Paul, 
what are your what are your closing thoughts? Your closing arguments? Well, I remember when the Realmgate Wars ended, and I was like, okay, so that was our campaign books, right? Like, what are we going to go forward? And I remember asking Ben Johnson at Adepticon, I was like, hey, so are we going to get more campaign books? Is this something you're going to do going forward? And he was like, well, yes, but they're not going to be the same. They're going to be something different. Like, there are going to be campaign books, but they're going to be something different, right? And this is obviously the different. And when I, when I first read through it, I was like, oh, I was kind of expecting, like, realms to break, right? It's called Broken Realms. And like, oh, it's, you know, it was a small thing, but, like, reading through it, right? Yeah, it wasn't like an, a realm-shaking thing yet, right? But what it leaves on the table is anything can happen, right? Nothing is off the table at this point. We've created new faction rules. We've created updated War Scrolls. Like, anything can happen in this series. And that's just immensely exciting, Right. And breaking down all the different little, you know, breadcrumbs that are left and like all the different trails they could chase down. There is so much that could happen. And especially with the way they're weaving the specialist games into the storyline and the box set is tied to this pair. Like everything is just working together and you can expand upon this piece of narrative and, and move forward to this idea. It's just it's super exciting to see where this is going to go forward, right? Mm -hmm. And again, with having these short stories where you had these, we're, we're going to get, I think, 12 is what Phil Kelly said. We're going to get 12 of these short stories, right? And we got one two weeks before Marathi came out, but we just got another one, right? So yep. are we going to get another Broken Realms book next month? Like, is, are we doing six? Are we doing three? Like, everything is up in the air, which again is super exciting, but the idea that the narrative is pushing forward so rapidly is just fantastic. Like I, I love that we're in a time period now where anything can happen. And if you come back in six months, the whole realms could change. Everything could be different, which right. is awesome. Super cool. Yeah. And allegiance shifting, you know, the Ideneth Deepkin and the daughters mm -hmm. of Cain, you know, yep. on the Lumineth, you know, definitely. Yeah. Friends become enemies, enemies become friends. Exactly. And and that that little thing with the Ideneth, they're like, oh, by the way, we have this artifact. This is something they stole when they fled from Teclis. And like that added a whole new dynamic as far as I'm concerned, right? Because it wasn't just like, oh, Teclis is going to try and kill us. We'll just have to run away. Like there was an actual conscious decision and there was an escape plan. It wasn't just, oh, we're scared. It was like, no, 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 we're going to preserve ourselves. It's a more active role for the Ideneth, and I really appreciate that exploring of their background a lot. I think it adds another dimension to them. Cool. Um, man, I've been listening to you guys, and I feel like I don't have much else to add because I agree with a lot of what you said. Um, I'm a sucker for connectivity or interconnectedness between stories and this is this current wave of products between catacombs and shadow and pain and and broken realms and marathi are all interconnected uh two thumbs up in my book um i love pushing the story forward um I, th I think one of the complaints that the old world used to have is that the story ended up being fairly static and i think um the folks writing for age of sigmar are consistently um with a few lulls, I guess, in between, but are always trying to push that narrative in a forward direction things are changing things are moving and uh i think 
although it may be tricky to keep, you know, engaging narrative moving forward. Um, I think they got to keep trying. And this is a great example of a, of a, of a success in that, um, arena. Uh, this book, I think, is the closest thing to um, the end times that we've gotten. I don't think the Realm Gates, excuse me, the Realm Gate Wars necessarily uh, honed in on that sort of theme or that feeling. But I think um, Broken Realms is, is definitely starting to the way that they're going to start to intertwine the storylines between a wide range of different, you know, actors and movers and shakers in the world. Um, and End Times is one of my favorite things that they've ever put out in sort of any of the world. Warhammer universes. So the, as much yeah. as they can emulate that as possible, I'm, I'm all for it. Um, I love that they both harken back to characters that we know, but they also took time to introduce new characters. And I think that's going to be important if we're going to continue to move stories forward. It's going to have to be a balance between those those folks that we do know and those folks that we don't yet know, you know, our, our favorite characters and our, our soon to be favorite characters. And so I hope they continue to do that as well. And I hope they, they keep some of these new characters um, moving forward. And um, I think the the value of the setting is going to be hinge on the, the the folks that were introduced to in this in the setting, and I think it, it's going to hinge on its characters. That was you know what people were most sad to lose in the old world, and I think it's you're only going to replace that by reintroducing new things in this new world. And I think they're doing a great job. Um, so I cannot wait. I set I set the book down, and I immediately wanted to pick up whatever the next one was going to be uh, <laughs> from the Broken Realms, uh, and I don't know how I'm going to survive until the next one uh, comes out. Okay, that's a little dramatic, but I mean it. Um, I'm a dramatic fella. Uh, hopefully but uh, I, hopefully we get a preview on Saturday. Yeah, yeah. I, I just can't wait. Um, and I think that might wrap it up, unless anyone has anything else. Three, two, one. Wait, wait, wait. It's time for our reforging, but Sigmar Willing will be back soon. Like, subscribe, share, or leave a review. Join us on Discord, drop a tip on our Patreon. Anything you can do will spread the word of Sigmar farther than we can on our own. Chat with us anytime about your thoughts on Twitter at The Mortal Realms. Uh, Josh, where can they find you on the internet? At J.E. Arrington. And Paul, what about you? At PJ Shard. Uh, Paven, where can they find you on the internet? Uh, I'm in the Mortal Realms Discord sometimes. Uh, you can also check out me and Josh's other show, The Dogs of Warcry, where we talk about the game Warcry. And I'm Aaron, and you can find me on Twitter at DosAceos, D-O-S-A-C-E-O-S. And you can find all our Mortal Realms shows and content at www.themortalrealms.com.